Gentlemen, and those who do not believe in a gender binary, welcome back to Directors Club Podcast. I'm Patrick Rapol, joined by Jim Laskowski. Say hi, Jim. Hello, everybody. And we are here with a very special task. As we near the end of the Trump administration and trade it in for a shiny new neoliberal nightmare, it might behoove us to look back at another point in time in recent American history where we as a country had massive grassroots groundswell towards a rejection of Bush-era hysteria and instead collectively doubled down and said, actually, this is what life is going to be like from now on, forever. Will things work out differently this time? Who can say? What I can say is that March 2008 is when I met my dear friend Jim Leskowski. 2009 is when we first podcasted together. 2010 is when we started this very show. Our joint tenure on Directors Club lasted through a good chunk of 2014. And it wasn't until 2017 where we handed over to Brad and Al. And that makes our reign an Obama-era reign. Uh, the new films we discovered, you know, fell in love with, yelled at each other about, they were all Obama-era films. And if we have to pick an arbitrary stretch of time to arbitrarily rank movies from, it seems to me that January 1st, 2009 to December 31st, 2016 is a perfectly fine arbitrary stretch of time to do so. And make no mistake, arbitrarily rank is what we came here to do. It is why we exist. Only this time, there's a twist. Using the immortal tradition of the GiantBomb.com Game of the Year podcast format, we are going to work together to build a collaborative ranked top 10 list of the greatest films of the Obama era. That's right. No separate lists. We actually have to work together to build a list for Directors Club podcast. So here's how it's going to work. The past month, me and Jim have worked together to build a master list of 137 potential candidates. This list is not just made up of our favorite films uh, from the era, but also every best picture winner, some of the biggest box office blockbusters, movies that got a lot of critical attention, movies that we would need there to represent the era, even if we know they ultimately won't make our top 10. Then, me and Jim will take turns whittling this list down and ultimately deciding a final 10 and if we have time we will rank them and if we don't we'll just rank them on a later follow-up episode uh seems simple right the issue is this there are only two of us no tiebreaker and longtime listeners will know that we disagree strongly on movies all the time uh sometimes we even yell at each other and if this just evolves into who will shout the loudest it's just going to be a headache so we've instituted a couples therapy rule we cannot judge one another. We cannot disparage one another's taste. We have to use statements like, I feel like, when, and, um, when one of us, oh boy, I have, I have, uh, folks, I have this all written out and I totally lost my place. When one of us says something the other finds baffling, 
it is the other's job to ask constructive questions about why they feel that way. And the goal is that we will work together collaboratively and build a list that best reflects Director's Club and our tastes. So let's just do that. Jim, you were sitting so quiet and polite as I went through this whole long explanation that I wrote out. Would you like to say anything before I read off our master list? Thank you for asking, Patrick. I appreciate your kindness and consideration, as always. But little did I know that 10, maybe 11 years ago when we were sitting in your basement and you just could not believe that Tom Hanks said the words magic legs in Forrest Gump, that we would be uh, still talking about our love of film all these years later. Nor did I expect that the world would be on the brink of, you know, destruction, thanks to our nation's <laughs> leadership. But nevertheless, I am ready to celebrate not only this podcast, but more importantly, the movies that we love and the love that we share as friends. Uh, I wish you luck in putting together this list alongside me. Um, and thank you again for being here and hosting this unforgettable event. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> okay, on to the list. Now, if you want to follow along at home, I've posted the master list onto my letterbox. So you just got to go to letterbox.com slash Patrick Rapol slash list slash top dash 10 dash films dash of dash the dash Obama dash era dash long list. Or to make it easier, you can also go to bit.ly slash DC Obama. That's bit.ly slash DC Obama. Okay. Now on to me just reading film titles for three straight minutes. Here is our master list. We have 20th Century Women, 500... And by the way, Jim, feel free to make whatever noises that you're bound to make. Don't, don't <laughs> Whatever you hear the titles. I'm so predictable. I know you. I know. Absolutely. Here we go. 20th Century Women, 500 Days of Summer, 12 yeah. Years a Slave, A Separation, A Serious Man, American Hustle, Another Year... Argo, Arrival, Avatar, Away We Go, Before Midnight, Barbarian Sound Studio, Bernie, Birdman, Black Snake Moan, Black Swan, Blue is the Warmest Color, Blue Valentine, Boyhood, Bridesmaids, Cabin in the Woods, Camera Person, Carol, Cemetery of Splendor, Certain Women, Certified Copy, Cheap Thrills, Chirac, Clouds of Sils Maria, Coherence, Compliance, Computer Chess, Creed, Django Unchained, Dogtooth, Drag Me to Hell, Drive, Enter the Void, Exit Through the Gift Shop, Fast Five, Fish Tank, Force Majeure, Foxcatcher, Francis Ha, Gravity, Green Room, Holy Motors, Hump Day, Hunt for the Wilder People, In the Loop, Inception, Inglorious Bastards, Inherent Vice, Inside Lewin Davis, Inside Out, Interstellar, It Follows, Jack Goes Boating, John Wick, Killing Them Softly, La La Land, Leviathan, Lincoln, Mad Max Fury Road, Manchester by the Sea, Margaret, Martha Marcy May Marlene, Meek's Cutoff, Melancholia, Midnight in Paris, Midnight Special, Mistress America, Mommy, Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom, Mustang, Never Let Me Go, Nightcrawler, Patterson, Personal Shopper, Room 237, Selma, Shame, Short Term 12, Shutter Island, Sicario, Silver Linings Playbook, Snowpiercer, Somewhere, Son of Saul, Spotlight, Spy, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Staying Vertical, Stories We Tell, Take Shelter, Take This Waltz, Tangerine, The Act of Killing, The Artist, The Avengers, The Big Short, 
The Counselor, Deep Blue Sea, The Duke of Burgundy, The Edge of Seventeen, The Future, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Handmaiden, The Hateful Eight, The Hurt Locker, The Illinois Parables, The Imposter, The King's Speech, The Lobster, The Loneliest Planet, The Master, The Revenant, The Social Network, The Sunset Limited, The Tree of Life, The Witch, The Wolf of Wall Street, The World's End, The Wrestler, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Tony Erdman, Two Days One Night, Uncle Boon Me Who Can Recall His Past Lives, Under the Skin, Up, Upstream Color, We Are the Best, We Need to Talk About Kevin, Wendy and Lucy, Where the Wild Things Are, Whiplash, White Material, and Winter's Bone. Woo! Are we done? Did I <laughs> the episode is over. over yet? Yeah. Those oh, are all, all the all movies right. are uh, going to make the entire list. That's it. That's the list. That's okay. right. Nothing is being added to this, um, but <laughs> many movies will be subtracted. Uh, Jim, do you want to start? You want to you want to pick one of these movies that you don't think is going to be on our top ten? This is really tough. Um, you know, I got like a giant whiteboard. I'm like I'm like Jake Gyllenhaal in Zodiac. I got papers. Uh-huh. Scattered everywhere. You have, little, and notes you have a little and... red string on a cork board connecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm gonna go with the f- the most obvious choice because neither of us are are fans of this film, and that is the Big Short. I don't want Big it. Short I, sucks. I don't want it anywhere near this list. I want uh-huh. Adam McKay to go back to making Step Brothers. So. Uh huh. That was this. The Obama era was the era where Adam McKay lost his damn mind and decided he was Oliver Stone, which he is absolutely not. <laughs> no, I don't know what his newest Netflix movie is supposed to be. I guess it's like a alien landing comedy thing. I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll see. I bet it's, I bet it's condescending, whatever it is. So, yeah. Yes, we'll see. Uh, the Big Short sucks. That's got to go. Yes, uh, please. The Avengers, the Avengers is also on this list, and I'm taking this off. Uh Sure. If you if we're making a top ten most pivotal films of the Obama era, probably this is number one. Um, I I feel like everything is the Avengers now. That <laughs> uh, this was the this was you know from two thousand eight is when Iron Man uh, and I think the Incredible Hulk may have came out two thousand eight as well, and that was when uh, everything got ruined and and the film industry got destroyed forever. So. I do like the Avengers, or I certainly liked it when I saw it in theaters in 2012, but nah, it's not one of the top 10 movies of this era, and it's certainly one of the top 10 most destructive movies of this era. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. As I tried to watch the latest Wonder Woman movie, I turned it off about a half hour and going, nah, I don't need to do this to myself. What am I doing with my time? You know? Yeah. Um, This might be a little bit of a surprise to take it off so soon because it won an Academy Award for Best Picture. But, um, and, and it's funny because the latest uh, Steve McQueen movie is my number, or one of the latest Steve McQueen movies uh, is my number one of uh, 2020, which is Lover's Rock. However, I'm not a fan of 12 Years a Slave. I do, I don't dislike it. I just, I, it didn't move me as much as I expected to when I first saw it. In addition, it just has like, Brad Pitt showing up as a cameo doing kind of like the white savior thing for a few minutes. And I, I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me anymore. And I don't, I don't especially think it's one of the great movies of this uh, era. 
So uh, I, I wouldn't mind taking 12 Years a Slave off unless you feel differently. No, I've never seen it. So I'm, that's... All right. Yeah. Well, you're not it missing just, a whole lot. It's not that great. I, it didn't seem... It sounded like it would be powerful and I might and I might cry just because of the subject matter, but it didn't sound particularly sure, sure. interesting. And also, I know there's another Steve McQueen movie on this list that you have fonder feelings for, so we yes. go ahead and take 12 Years a Slave off. While we're on the topic of Oscar winners, The King's Speech sucks. Um you are right. Tom Hooper sucks. Uh, it wasn't until the Trump era that he made cats and everyone realized it, but uh, <laughs> um, the King's Speech is a, just an out-and-out out bad movie. And that won Best Picture, didn't it? It sure did. Oh, my God. So that's gone. That's uh, what about you? Okay. Wow. See, the problem is, is that, like, I mean, most of these movies I do like. You know, I mean, yeah. th- th- there was only like a couple of grunts. Um, where was the? Oh well, I, let's get rid of Avatar. Come on, yeah, Wait, that doesn't need to. That doesn't need to be on here. No way. It's amazing. Was, it's amazing that like the top grossing movie of all time. I don't know if that's still true. Did one of the Marvel movies knock it off? It's a good question. I don't um, really keep. Up I think with the it box did. I think. Stats. I think the last Avengers movie is now the top grossing movie of all time. But and like that movie, Avatar has no pop cultural impact. I don't think anyone's ever going to remember a thing about that last Avengers movie. And it was same with Avatar. Uh, it's like blue people, unobtainium, and that's it. Uh, pretty forgettable movie. That I yeah, think ter- ju- terrible script. It's people, pretty much just dances with wolves. That's all that script is. Right. They just got really high on the uh, 3D. Um, Oh, let's see. I had something here and I lost it. What are we looking for here? Um, okay, so it is on me. Uh, I I do not think we need to talk about Kevin is a holistically good movie. Um, I think there are it, good things about it. Yeah, I think the sure. filmmaking is very good. I think Lynn Ramsey is a good director. Um, I just think that all the stuff with Grown up Kevin is just, it just makes me cringe. Um, and I, when you don't really know him, you just sort of know the thing he did. It's way more powerful. So I think yeah. we can knock off We Need to Talk About Kevin. I think we agreed on that when it first came out, and I didn't have a chance to revisit it yeah. to confirm, but I'm pretty sure I still agree. Okay. Well,. Let's get rid of the movie that um, I don't know if I proclaimed on the podcast, but after I saw it, I came to you and I said, I think it's one of the greatest all-time movies of, or greatest romantic comedies I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, I must have been drunk when I said that, because that's not true. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I'm not crazy about 500 Days of Summer anymore. Um, there are things about it I like, but... I, I think it's interesting that this sort of came up on my latest letterbox list of my favorite films and the fact that I I really hadn't picked up on the parallels, but I do think that um, uh, Chilly Scenes of Winter, which is Bill Ackerman's favorite film, is m- a much better version of that same kind of story. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. it's and, it, and it's weird because there are things in 500 Days of Summer that I'm like, wait a minute, that is exactly almost beat for beat chilly scenes of winter so i'm wondering if they ripped it off or if they were fans of it i don't know i don't but, don't feel too bad about yourself you know that kind of movie if you're, if you're just emotionally vulnerable and it just hits you the right way you might it just you know i understand 
There yeah, were, no, there, yeah. Okay. I, I, I was definitely in a vulnerable place when I saw it. Yeah, that's, so. that's happened to everybody, I think. Um, American Hustle, I added because every time I think about American Hustle, it makes me laugh because it's one of those movies that got nominated for a million awards. And having not seen it, I literally know nothing about it. Like, that's how little people talk about it. And I don't think anyone's seen it in three years. I think probably it's been forgotten since, despite being this like, I massive seen, I awards seen movie. It in, I haven't seen it in three years. And all I remember is just bad wigs and art forgery. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that's all I can remember about it. And uh, David O. Russell is the director I'm covering this year. So I'll revisit it just for the heck of it. Oh, cool. But I don't think it's that great. But this was like, I feel like, I don't know where David O. Russell is at this moment. But it feels like he, because he did Silver Linings Playbook, which is still on this list, and he did uh, this, and then he did like Joy, Ew. and then I think <laughs> I think people that we haven't heard from him since, and no, we haven't. I I think he's doing something with again su- surprise surprise a huge ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing something this year. I don't know what it is. All right. See. Um. So that's that's me. Go ahead. Hmm. I should have some like intermission music or thinking music on yeah. in the background while there's this dead space because it's again it's very difficult. But um, I know a lot of people are a huge fan of the original John Wick, and I like it. But I like the sequels more. Yeah, especially the second one. So I'm I'm okay with taking John Wick off the list. I know it sort of kickstarted a very popular franchise, and a lot of people do love the first one. Uh, but I, I just don't think it picked up momentum until the second one. I think I, I I'm 100% with you. I think there are some people they really respond to the fact that the first one leaves the sort of mythology as more of a mystery, whereas the sequels go deeper into it. Um, but I think also John Wick, uh, in its sort of Russian mob bad guys can feel excessively generic uh, when it's not an action scene. So I'm, I'm cool with John Wick going. Um, All right. Speaking of Oscar winners, which we weren't, but earlier we were, The Artist is another hilarious uh, <laughs> best picture winner <laughs> that I don't think anyone has particularly strong feelings about. I think there are people who like that movie and find it charming and fun, but I don't think people... I don't. I can't think of anyone who would put it on their top 10 list of the Obama years. I couldn't imagine that. No, I think, and you know, we had, we had a lot of titles on here that I I was really excited to revisit. And that was definitely not one of them. I was like, "Eh, I don't need to see that again. I I think, I think that's, we, the only, it's like, it's like, also I'm not, I'm not into being nostalgic for a time when Harvey Weinstein was in a position to buy Academy Awards. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, like turns point. out Harvey Weinstein was you know was a way worse dude than just like oh that guy buys foreign films and edits them until they're incomprehensible like turns and you know he spends so much money until he basically buys a best picture for Shakespeare in Love and The Artist but like no that guy's way worse and glad we're rid of him um this will this will disappoint some people for sure, but and it's very similar to what I just said about John Wick. Is that the uh, the second film in this new franchise that I, I just think is stronger and more interesting, which is uh, uh, 
Ryan Johnson's contribution to the Star Wars universe. Whereas the original here, which is on the list, The Force Awakens, I think is just okay. Yeah. I, I think you dislike it more, or I I, no, I think no, it was I think just... we're on the same boat. I think it might be my favorite J.J. Yeah. Abrams movie, but that's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right, actually. Of course, uh, I I like his screenplay for Joyride, but he didn't direct that one. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm okay. I, again, like I think I'm more square in the middle on this Star Wars movie. It's fine. It's entertaining. I enjoyed it when I saw it in the theater, but it hasn't made a lasting impression the way the uh, the next installment was, Last Jedi. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. Uh, some of these, some of these, I'm like, oh, that's got to go. But I know that you love them, so I'm gonna go ahead and hold off until <laughs> we actually have to have that fight. Uh, actually, I will say this. Um, I know that there is a. Uh, oh, I forget the name of this director. Uh, I know there's another film by this director on this list that you are gonna fight stronger for. So even though I know you like this movie, I do not think Midnight Special is one of the top ten movies of the Obama era. I think you're right about that. I can I can understand. All right. Again, the first time I saw that, I definitely really, really, really strongly responded to it. But I think yeah. even upon a rewatch, I was like, maybe it wasn't that great, but I still love it. There's some moments in that before, like it sort of, I don't know. I found it kind of cloying and sentimental and, and a little too long. But like before you really figure out what's going on, that movie has a really cool tone. Yes, agreed. So go ahead. Oh my. Oh my. Um <laughs> I don't know if this will be shocking, but I can I think I have gone on record in saying that Sofia Coppola has made much better movies than Somewhere, even though I'm a fan of Somewhere. But I also would not put that particular title on this list. Cool. That that I, saves me. I'm not going to actively defend it the way I used to. to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I think I think all of our listeners just breathe the sigh of relief that we're not relitigating somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, and while we're in the S's, uh, I think Paul Feig is kind of a bad director. And even though <laughs> I think this is his best, not necessarily his best movie, one of his best movies, and certainly the best movie uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, did as a leading actor. Uh, one of the best actors of the decade, according to New York Times. <laughs> did you see that? Okay, I did not see that. No. They did some, like, best performances of the decade list, and it <laughs> included, like, Melissa McCarthy. And it was like, what is she ever bad? What? Uh, like, I think its defense was like, have you ever seen a movie where she was bad? And I'm like, yeah, a bunch. She does a lot of crap. But anyway, Spy is a movie that I think is very fun. Um and yeah, it's fine. I even think some of the action is halfway competent, which is way more than you should expect from a, a comedy action movie, a Hollywood comedy action film. But uh, no, Spy is not one of the top films of the Obama era. And I, th I know that um, Peter Subchinsky of RogerEbert.com, a previous guest on the uh, infamous De Palma episode, mm -hmm. the first one, the earliest one, would not be a fan of me taking this off the list, but I am not that crazy about blue is the warmest color. I know you recently caught up with it and had a even more negative reaction, but uh, yeah, I yeah I I didn't get what all the fuss was about. That was one of those that was like hugely hyped, and when mm. I saw it, it was like 
you know what? That was basically like, you know, a three hour version of um, Show Me Love, the Lucas Moodison movie, really. Yeah. And that, I like that one much more than this one. Do you think people were responding to, and there are some, there's still some people who, so I don't want to pretend like, oh, oh yeah, 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 wasn't yeah. it funny that back then we thought it was great, but now we've all come to our senses. Like, no, there are some people who will still defend Blue is the Warmest Color as, as like one of the great films of this era. But do you think that the thing people respond to is just sort of the largeness of it? Like, not just the length, but also mm-hmm. like the ambition of like, we're going to have really explicit sex scenes that go on for a while and we're going to take this topic which a lot of films would consider frivolous and we're going to give it the space um and and sort of grandness i don't know greatest it's not i don't think it's a grand film but like do you think people are just sort of responding to an ambitious relationship movie which is almost an oxymoron (laughs) yeah well i mean at that age love can feel very grandiose and out of control and (laughs) i guess it's like trying to capture that in a very, you know, in a lengthy time, but I don't think it's entirely a hundred percent successful. I just, I know the performances are great mm-hmm. and you know, I just, but at the same time when it was over, I kind of went, I feel like I've seen that before and it wasn't done in a way that I thought was, you know, that needed to be that long. Right. So also, it's, also it's, it's like, when it's become forgettable. It's once you, once you read about the making of the movie, you're like, Oh, the performances are great because all that of too. the actors were abused. <laughs> like that too. I certainly don't want to yep. go back and rewatch this anymore. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, the coward's way out and I'm just going to, I added Fox catcher just because Fox catcher is one of those movies that oh, people missed that one that yeah. people talked about. Like it was this like big deal. And then no one ever talked again after award season was over. I think there are some movies that people get caught up in the game of like, what's going to win the Oscar. Um, and they get invested in movies just based on awards chances. And then I don't think anyone Fox catcher is, uh, like American hustle where it's like prestige movie that I don't think anyone's watched in three years. I was looking over our list and, was Moneyball in this era? Oh, you know what? Because I don't see it. I don't see it on the list. Now that I think about it, it wasn't on this list. I mean, it's not going to make our top ten. No, 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 no. But that's okay. I just realized that as I was going through this. That's movie. the same director. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um. But let's see. How about? Oh. Yeah. This is this is a little controversial too. Is Another movie that I thought I was going to unabashedly love and kind of now I'm, I've mostly been in the middle. It's like three and a half stars for me. La La Land, uh, which yeah. I, I think that has a really powerful ending. That was one of those movies where I'm like, I think people are just really overwhelmed by the last 15 minutes of it. And everything else that came before, I just kind of went, meh, it was good, not great. Uh I, I didn't think the, you know, it blew me away in the way that I expected it to. I thought it was going to be this great throwback to, you know, a, a different era with great musical numbers. And, man, the first couple of musical numbers actually get on my nerves. The one in the highway and uh, the one where Emma Stone's going to a party. So uh, it just, it, it, I don't know. It just never clicked with me. And, you know, I'm a fan of this director. So I'm taking it off, which is sad because I know people love La La Land. I think they'll live. Uh, <laughs> I just don't want to I, I disappoint people. So I Here I am comment. again, like thinking about I, other people. Yeah. <laughs> I feel this is our list. Screw them. Um, 
No, uh, it's. I guess it's worth noting that I think you have seen every movie on this list because you're you, and I have seen maybe two-thirds of the movie on this list because I am me. So La La Land is another one that I skipped. Yeah, you're not missing much. Um, if we're going to if we're going to be knocking Paul Feig down a peg, uh, Bridesmaids is a very funny movie. I I thought it was hysterical uh, when I first saw it in theaters. A little less so now. Now that like the the cinematic comedy is like a <clears throat> dead form at this point. Um, Feels like it, and it and it is because of it was like I remember in two thousand five when Forty Year Old Virgin came out. And it was like a world where you, it, all comedies were either Adam Sandler, uh, Love Guru. No, Love Guru came afterwards. Uh, it was either like Adam Sandler movies or like Wedding Crashers. It was like, it felt like all Hollywood comedies were like that level. And then once you got to 40-Year-Old Virgin, there was like the specificity. And you're like, oh my god, what is happening right now? This is incredible. <laughs> Judd Apatow is saving the industry. Um and then, like so many things, uh, <laughs> so many things in the film industry over the Obama years, like it just got to a point where it's like, oh, we can't, we can't anymore. We can't do this long ass, super long scenes of people improvising comedy. It's just dead. It's just so tedious. Yeah, I felt um, like Trainwreck was the moment where that happened for me, where I was like, I don't think I like Judd Apatow anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is forty was like all right you overreached oh yeah and, that too that but too. uh but Trainwreck for sure was just like this is just flat out bad uh but Bridesmaids not one of the top ten um you know it's it's I I'm, I'm conflicted about the Spike Lee film on here is it the only Spike Lee movie on here it I is think? the only Spike Lee movie on here wow this was not a great stretch of time for actually you know what. This was a great stretch of time for Spike Lee because this is when he did probably his best work ever in When the Levees Broke. Um, oh, true. But that is a series that technically, I think it, under some circumstances, it probably had a theatrical release. You could try to qu get it qualify as a film. But I decided to really just be rigid about what counts as a feature film. Um, so Yeah, and a lot of people do defend it, I guess. Because, like, he makes interesting, messy movies. Chirac but, is the movie you're... Yeah, of course. And uh, I think I walked into that, again, with very high expectations. I yeah. think he's going to, you know, make the do the right thing for Chicago. <laughs> but it... Uh, no. I don't know. So I'm, Not everything worked in that one. So I'm the one who added Chirac to this list, and I added it because it is, for me, something else that happened during this time... And, and afterwards, but I think now it's probably tapered off, uh, was Amazon got into the film industry. Um, mm. And Amazon's MO for a little bit there, like for a glorious four or five year period, was they just gave tons of money to all of these like uh, sort of auteurs uh, to do their little dream projects. Um, so it was like, oh my God, Whit Stillman has a new movie. And... It, and Spike Lee has a epic sex comedy, it, all in rhyming verse. And uh, we're going to release Neon Demon in theaters, you know, into like a thousand theaters. <laughs> like Amazon went fucking wild because they had all the money in the world, and they were just like, eventually, this is going to make an get us an Oscar. <laughs> um, but uh, and this is yeah, they did that Woody Allen series with uh, 
with Miley Cyrus. Oh or God, that's so funny! I can't believe that exists. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're I don't think they're in that when, business anymore. But for me, Chirac is like the pinnacle of this movie only existed because a massive tech company wanted an Oscar and they didn't know the first thing about getting one and Spike Lee because Spike Lee is Spike Lee and he's a talker he worked his way and he saw a mark and he was like yo I could get you an Oscar I'm Spike Lee I did do the right thing and they're like yeah gun violence in Chicago maybe and it's like no this is not a very serious movie about gun violence this is a very weird movie um, but it is a movie I like a lot but it's not one of the top 10 Correct. All right. What's next for you? Uh, hmm. This was the era when the Fast and Furious movies became a huge franchise. Um, it, <laughs> what, what's really funny about the Fast and Furious movies is concurrently, The Expendables happened. And The Expendables was Sylvester Stallone um, being like, oh, what if I just got every action star ever in a single movie? Wouldn't that be this big event? Wouldn't that be the equivalent of the Avengers or whatever? I don't know if the Avengers was really a thing when the first Expendables came out. But, um, and then Fast Five happened and Furious Six and Fast and Furious Seven or whatever that one's called. And like they kind of did the Expendables, but they just did it accidentally. Um, Fast Five, I these yeah. Fast and Furious movies have a lot of fans. And some of the practical effects, some of the... There's, like, the car with the ramp on the front and the scene where the car is drinking the bank vault. Like, some of the stuff in Fast Five is rad as hell, but also I never liked any of the characters and I always thought they were very dumb and they were very long movies that you had to sort of wade through a bunch of bullshit to get, like, the 12 minutes that I thought was cool. So, Fast Five. But Patrick, but Patrick it's all about family. <laughs> La familia, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fast Five's not one of the top ten. Nope, definitely not. Rest in peace, Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Mm-mm-mm. It's getting crazy. Yeah, we're getting into, like, uh, pretty much most of these movies are good. Oh. Yeah, and a few of them I'm sure we'll get to that I rewatched recently and went, oh, this is even better yeah. than I thought on a rewatch. Uh Let's see. You know, I I haven't gotten around recently, and it's probably because it never really got, I don't even think it got released on Blu-ray, but uh, a film that we really strongly responded to and was at least in our top five the year it came out um, is Miranda July's The Future. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'd feel weird about taking it off the list so soon if I had rewatched it and had the same emotional reaction to it but i haven't and i don't think it would make our final 10 as much as we responded to it at the time i absolutely agree that was that's i mean that's one of those movies where it's like not only is my taste in films evolved but like just me as a person i've evolved and i feel like when i think back on the future i might look back on it and be like oh it's kind of embarrassing how much I related to this because that just kind of reveals how immature I was when I was 23 or whatever. Possible. Um, possible. Or it's great. But either way, I don't think it's making our top 10. So that's fair. Um, so I want to throw a kind of a curveball in the mix. Uh, it's bound to happen. So this is something that you added to this list. Uh, Wendy and Lucy has a uh, release date of December 2008. 
I didn't know really? if you were like I didn't know if you wanted to sort of stretch the definition of like well Obama was elected by then. Um, <laughs> but I looked it up and it's limited theatrical not its festival release date but it's like limited theatrical release date in the United States was like December 14th 2008. Um honestly well, like been, I, yeah that might have been an error on my part you're correct. So I was kind of into I was like maybe we should just keep it just cuz I like the idea of um Oh my god, how am I blanking uh, on Kelly Reichard having three movies on this list? Um, yeah, no kidding. I think all of all the directors of this era, I think like Kelly Reichard was sort of like, oh man, she she nailed it. Uh, but uh, I don't think Wendy and Lucy, we can call this nope. uh, as part of this list. So, amazing movie, uh, strong contender for top ten if it qualified, but it does not. Sadly, no. Yeah, I don't know what I, maybe I was looking at because sometimes I don't know. I look at a different site and then sure it tell, it says one thing versus another. I don't know. If we should say we did not rigorously look up release dates of every single one of these movies. A lot of these movies we just sort of went on Letterboxd and just believed what Letterboxd told us. <laughs> um, so if anyone is like, technically Obama was you know Obama wasn't sworn in until this date and this came out three weeks earlier or something like that, like that's fine. We're not. It's not super important. Um, I'm going to take out Fish Tank, which is a movie I liked. And again, you got Michael Fassbender, one of the uh, better actors of this era. Uh, But I don't know. I I, I didn't go back and revisit it. And I wasn't as crazy about the director's follow-up movie, which was like three hours long, American Honey. Yeah. And yeah, it's... It's kind of tough now with with Shia LaBeouf. I'm like, I, he he plays really obnoxious, abusive jerks in a mm-hmm. lot of movies to where I, the, it makes me uncomfortable now to watch them. So that American Honey, I think that might have come out what in 2017 or 2018. Something that would have been considered for this list. But right. the uh, Fish Tank is very good. But again, I I would not put it on a definitive list of this era. That's fair. Very well I acted. You know. I did not see that one, so I will I will trust your uh, judgment. Uh, I think there. So I I put this on this list partially because it was a big blockbuster movie that everyone saw, but also partially because there was a point during the Obama years where it looked like CGI was going to sort of open the floodgates for um, all these like really great. Uh, like, oh, now directors have all these new tools to tell stories. Uh, for me, there are like three movies that were, uh, that sort of came out near each other. One is 2008 movie, Speed Racer. Um, one is Enter the Void, which is on this list. And one oh. is one is Scott Pilgrim, which is not on this list, just because I don't think either of us are super enthusiastic about Scott Pilgrim. Um, nah, not really. So... And that was sort of like this exciting period of time where it was like, wow, people are just, people, you know, like, this is totally going to change the way films work. And then instead, um, this is my personal theory, uh, my personal theory is that, like, Marvel movies happened and people got so just inundated with, like, really cheap-looking, like, unconvincing bad CGI with, like, very unimaginative aesthetics that... Instead, people just sort of ran in the other direction, and all of a sudden, it was like the Paul Thomas Anderson, 
like there will be blood the master sort of a thing where it's like this is shot on 70 millimeter and you can see the texture of the fibers of the clothes and like everything went like no this is real this is authentic that's because that is a in opposition to the marvel movies and the things that are dominating uh the box office and it felt like uh ambitious cgi driven movies were sort of they died and it didn't happen but in 2012 gravity or 2013 gravity came out and that movie was cool as hell um and it was a movie that only could exist uh it could not have existed at any point in time before then i know sergio tried to say that it was like the uh movie marooned but it is not like the movie marooned it is an awesome roller coaster ride <laughs> um and it is really cool but it's not one of the top 10 movies of this of this list yeah i think you're right another that i yeah i i certainly admired the spectacle of it all and obviously seeing it on the big screen was pretty remarkable I, I there's not a whole lot negative i could say about it i i think it's a great film and that director makes great films. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can agree with you there. <laughs> you know, I uh, I think I saw Hunt for the Wilder People at the Chicago F- uh, Critics Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Did it play there? Yeah. yeah, I think that's where I saw it. And I obviously laughed fairly consistently through it and certainly love the director's work. Uh, wait. Am I, wait, what was the most recent thing he did? Well, he, he did, did Jojo the, uh, Rabbit, which... Yes, that's the one thing yeah. I didn't like. That surprised me. I was really surprised by how I didn't yeah. like that. Um, Hunt for the Wilderpeople's People is definitely better. It's definitely funny. But again, I just can't see it making the final I, ten. I, As, you know, it's a charming movie, but... No. I agree with you. I think, it's a, I think about some of the faces that Sam Neill makes in this movie uh, on a pretty regular <laughs> basis, and it makes me happy. Hunt for the Wilder People. It's just, Hunt for the Wilder People is one of the things where it's like, if you have an aunt who wants to know a good movie to watch and you want them to watch something that they probably haven't heard of and they wouldn't watch on their own, but like is not too out there and would not challenge. I don't know why I went with aunt. That's a, I don't know why I made it gendered or whatever, but like you're talking to an older person <laughs> and they're just sort of like, they got basic ass taste, but you want them to just sort of dip their toes in something a little more fun and unusual. Hunt for the Wilder People is a great recommendation. I don't know. I'm going to call up my Aunt Betty and recommend Enter the Void. <laughs> See Hell what happens yeah. there. Right in the deep end, Aunt Betty. Uh, you lived through the 70s. You know You know <laughs> what it's like to disassociate. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the Obama years were the years... This was the stretch of time where Steven Spielberg kind of... He, he kind of got less relevant. Um, and I think Lincoln is in some ways a cool movie and in some ways a bloated, kind of boring one. Um Mm. I, okay, we uh, we can boring. I can pick a different movie. I guess it's just because I recently did the episode. No, I mean I I don't think it's going to make the list to be honest. Okay, and I can I I can go with your deletion of it now, but I I don't know I, I I'm surprised by how involved and the pacing of it all, and certainly I think it's mm-hmm. it's the script that is kind of, besides besides Daniel Day Lewis, the script really pops throughout most of the movie to where I'm never yeah. bored. I, I found but, uh, the biopic uh, stuff that doesn't have to do with the um, the fight for the amendment. True. I found that mostly boring, personally. Yeah, I 
there were things I like even said at the you know, most recent review for the Spielberg episode is like you probably could have cut out the the, the father son stuff in the movie it doesn't need to be there and mm-hmm. some of the even some of the scenes between husband and wife are just kind of eh, yeah I I can I can go with you on like it could use some editing here and there but it's it's almost got like an Aaron Sorkin quality to the to the writing that I love uh, a lot of fast pace and I think I think I'm just I I so wanted a spinoff with uh, James Spader and <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson and who's the third uh, guy? Now I can't remember. But, oh, sure. Oh, John yeah, Hawks, yeah, I no, that's John fair. Hawks. As the lobbyists, those guys are amazing. All those scenes are very fun. Um, yeah. But, okay, if you're not going to make an argument for it on the top ten list, I will go ahead and uh, delete it. Yeah, you can, yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Ooh. This is getting... Harder and harder as we go along. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh God, I should have rewatched Staying Vertical. But I'm not taking it off now. I just wish I'd rewatched that one in time. Okay. Um but Tony Erdman's a movie that again that I think was very hyped for me. Uh and I thought it was just good. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was an amazing movie at all. Uh, I, I there was talk at one point of a remake of it, and I'm like, I don't know if I need to see another version of this story where it's just basically, you know, a, a tumultuous father daughter sort of trying to rekindle and just like weird stuff happening. I mean, there's some incredibly memorable moments and set pieces in Tony Erdman, some very great comedic set pieces that when you see it, you'll never forget them. But as a whole. It's too long, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would not put it on the final ten. I, I didn't get a chance to see it. I think out of all the movies on this list, that's the one that I'm like, man, I wish I could have an opinion because the uh, the hype on that one was unreal when it came out. It was... Yeah, I think that kind of hurt it for me. Yeah, that's possible. That happens. Um, but yeah, we can go ahead and take that off. It it, it might be one of the ten best films of the year, of the, of the era uh, for me, but I haven't seen it, so it can't be one of the time, ten best films for Director's Club. Um, you want to talk about like growing up and your tastes refining uh, Black Swan is a movie that I thought was extremely <laughs> deep uh, when I saw it in 2009 or 2010 or whatever um, and when I watched it again I want to say a year or two ago I was like I still like this but I like this because it's just like a dumb obnoxious horror movie um, that is just like Same. so over the top and operatic uh, not because it has depth yeah. Um, so I think Black Swan is, is still a-okay in my book. I, I'm not a, I'm not fully into everything Darren Aronofsky does all the time. Um, but I do think that, uh, this is not one of the 10 best films, uh, of this list. Definitely creepy. Mm -hmm. And definitely, there's definitely things about it. Again, great performances, great score. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm... It's crazy about the cinematography, similar to the one I was just about to choose, <laughs> the wrestler. Ah, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so back to back, back to back, Aronofsky. Uh, I don't like the graininess of mm-hmm. it. I don't know. I mean, uh, that, that was that shot digitally or what? I, like, because like to me, it, there's something about the look of it that just never really clicked. With I believe me. both films were shot in films. 16 millimeter, which would explain why they're so grainy. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think 
in the case of Black Swan, it's to give it the feel of like a 70s exploitation movie. So you get that 70s film grain. And I think in the case of mm-hmm, The Wrestler, mm-hmm. it's to make it feel like a John Cassavetes movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I, obviously, I don't mind when he pays homage to things like yeah. that because I'm a yeah. fan. But, and again, like Wrestler for me, similar to Black Swan, great performances and certainly things I like mm-hmm. about it. But not not worthy of the final 10 for me. Yeah. Sorry, Mickey Rourke. Me neither, though. It is funny that you call it the cinematography, because I remember when it came out and I saw The Wrestler, and there's just so many tracking shots where you're just behind the back. You're just following Mickey Rourke through his day, and it's sort of like inviting the audience to sort of uh, sit in his shoes by just sort of following him behind his head. Uh, Like, I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I love how this looks. I was like... I was so into the way the wrestler looked for some reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not one of the top ten. Yeah. I, I do like Mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so, both on the Mother train, but I think that's Trump era. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, wrestler, now okay, you're... Okay, Argo is not one of the ten best movies of this era. <laughs> no. This is... I'm surprised it's taken us a while to get <laughs> well, to that one. It's that all the way at the top of the good. list. We, uh, we might have missed it. That's but, true. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Argo. Um, I'm, I'm curious if I watched it now, if I would find it more racist. I think at the time I saw those <laughs> accusations and didn't agree with them. But, like, I think I know more about the CIA and specifically, uh, <laughs> like, how America has totally fucked up other countries for decades and decades and decades. Um, and I wonder if that whole thing would play differently to me now. Uh, though I, I do maintain that the fact that the whole thing of them being chased on the runway and everything is invented i don't care about that at all go ahead make up what you want in order for it to be more exciting um it's not a documentary yeah yeah i agree with that ben affleck's pretty good director but uh yeah i never even caught with his that movie he did that was supposed to be like his not casablanca but something from that era it's like a gangster movie or something is that i guess so yeah yeah i didn't see that. that I never saw that one. Um, you know, this is this next one is, is a tough one for me to completely leave out. If it was a top 20, maybe I'd consider further. But, uh, you know, it, I, I've I've caught up and really got into the show uh, Cobra Kai. <laughs> and I think I think a lot of it has to do with just the, the stupid ridiculousness of nostalgia. And here I am watching this thing and feeling like I'm, you know, 12 or 13 watching The Karate Kid and sticking around with these characters you know it's it's ridiculous and i thought to myself yeah if stallone was doing something like this with creed and you know the rocky franchise i would definitely be hooked to you know season after season with that but as far as creed goes i i do love yeah. it quite a bit i was that was a genuine oh, man, surprise creed, yeah when it came out you know great boxing scenes great acting all around there's i don't really have anything bad to say about ryan coogler directs the shit out of this movie no kidding no kidding but i don't think it's gonna be in the final 10 which is sad i agree with you but Um, that's okay that's that's totally fair yeah creed i mean i'm i'm really into like boxing movies in general it's very easy for me to get sucked it's just like such a potent metaphor of just someone getting the shit kicked out of them like you could apply that to anything in your life and just relate to it that's why rocky has worked for so long um i have to say 
That's probably why the Karate Kid is working for me too. Still there was the, there, day, and there was also know? a moment where I saw but, Creed and I saw that Michael B. Jordan was so young and Ryan Coogler was this young upcoming director and it was a big hit and there was this thing to me in the back of my mind where I was like, you know, I'm not really into Hollywood endless sequel franchise thing, but I was like, man, if they made five of these Creed movies, I'd be so psyched. I'd be pumped. And there was part of me that was really excited for Creed as a franchise. And then Creed 2 was like, oh, no, this is not it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and that, that, that yeah. kind of zapped my enthusiasm a little bit. This is going to be, so my choice is going to be something that uh, I think a lot of people will take issue with. Um, this is a movie I just do not like, even though it is really beloved. Um, from a director, I, I'm really into some of his later stuff. And I think it just comes down to the fact that for his stuff to work for me personally, it has to be in English so I can hear the performances. Uh, but Dogtooth, I, I, am, I do not like this movie and I, I do not believe it is one of the top ten films. I think you're correct. I... Since this was my first exposure to this director's work, I think it really Yeah, I came me. to it later. And I was not prepared for it. Yeah, that's totally it. fair. I was like, what am I watching? Uh in you know, in that way that you get with, you know, some of the great directors, but it's it's funny. Well, you know, we'll definitely talk about another title that again, I've warmed up to more, but I can I can be okay with excluding Dogtooth. Um, cause I, I, I think he got even better over time. So I think I'm mostly in agreement with you on, on that. Although it's just, again, like s there are some scenes that when you see them in that movie, you'll never forget them. So Especially if you haven't like, seen a movie like that before. Yeah. Whereas I had seen the lobster and killing of a sacred deer before I went back to Dogtooth, And once I got to Dogtooth, I was like, oh, but this isn't funny. And I, I'm just not getting that same feeling. And I do think it's just like, if I spoke Greek, then I would probably have a different opinion, but I don't. And I'm just not into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I am definitely more of a fan of this one than you are, but I'm okay with taking it off because, uh, I think what it comes down to, I still like the director's uh, film before this one. Let's take off Green Room. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, Jeremy Saulnier, and uh, the, the last film he did that I think went straight to Netflix was kind of underrated, with certainly some of the better action scenes of the year that year came out. Agreed. Um, now I, but uh, no, I think I'm, I'm more partial to Blue Ruin, even though I do get a visceral thrill out of Green Room for pretty much the entire running time because it, it has that scenario it's like this is Jim Nip where you just put a bunch of people into one confined closed space and they can't get out of it you know yeah like the thing yeah that's that's my jam um so <laughs> uh but you know they do eventually get out of it and there's some really heavy confrontational violence that erupts but um eh, I yeah I'm, I'm I'm okay with taking green room off even though I'm a fan one of these days I'm going to rewatch it with subtitles and I'll actually feel like I can have a full opinion. But I saw it in theaters and I remember feeling like I had missed some sort of dialogue because I didn't understand why they would ever give up the gun at all. Like, I didn't make any sense to me how why they would ever trust any deal that the white supremacist made on the other side of the door. And therefore there was no yeah, I can't drama either. to me. So, But I will rewatch it with 
uh, subtitles and then I'll be able to actually know if that's a reasonable thing to say or not. Um, Birdman is not one of the top 10 films of this era. <laughs> Birdman <laughs> uh, is a goofy-ass movie that is just kind of fun in that it is just so bombastic and pleased with itself. Like, I'm... I can. I am now at a point where I don't feel the need to like react harshly to that sort of thing. I don't need to be like, oh fuck them for thinking they're so great. This is so self-important. Blah blah. Like I can just sort of enjoy it for being a big, uh, noisy, chest-puffing kind of a uh, movie about the about the film industry and about making art and stuff like that. But it's not one of the top ten of this year of this era. Do you think it's similar to La La Land, where it's kind of self-congratulatory and I mean just in, I know yeah. you haven't seen La La Land but just because it's so uh, such a loving tribute to Hollywood and that the Academy immediately just eats that yeah. shit up I, I, <laughs> it's like that's why it's one best picture that I think if you look year. at all the 70-somethings that populate the Academy I bet you ask them what do they think of the Marvel movies they're like it's a fucking plague so I'm sure when Birdman came out they were like yes thank you and you please take all the awards yeah um, Again, good performances yeah. for sure, and there are things I like about it. But yeah, I, I think that was one of those where first time I saw it, I loved the hell out of it, and then the second time I saw it, and I was like, you know what, yeah. it's all right. <laughs> I enjoy it, but it's not right. high art. Um, ooh, hoo, hoo. You know, we have how many? Uh, I think we have at least three Richard Linklater movies oh, really? on here. Um. Yeah. What was what was the not what the heck? Oh, everybody wants some. Was that this? Was that 2017? Is that why it's not on here? That's Probably. my guess. I I I might have would have added it. Okay. I don't think it's in the top ten, but. Uh. No, I don't think so either. But uh, I'm trying to decide because they're all in the B's here. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh. But it's funny because I kind of love all three of them for different reasons. Oh, boy. This is tough. I mean, I guess I don't have to eliminate. But at the same time, I know if a Richard Linklater movie is going to make the top ten, it's, there's only going to be one. Right. Uh, so how about you pick one to knock off and I'll pick the other and we'll see if we're thinking of the same <laughs> one. I, I guess I'm going to go with Bernie. Mm-hmm. I do like it a lot, and this might be my favorite Jack Black performance, and certainly just the wa watching a character experience some sort of codependence while trying to do the right thing and being torn and struggled by it and then eventually just, like, losing his shit. Um, and the, the, the true story angle, I, I actually really like that he incorporates some interviews with the real-life people who uh, knew the real-life Bernie in the midst of all this. I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I, it's, I don't think it's on par with the other two, to be honest. I, but I do love it. Like I could, I could put that yeah. on tonight and enjoy the hell out of it, but yeah, that movie's a lot of fun. It is. Um, but I'm taking it off. Link letter. He can be so hit and miss with the minor, with the quote unquote minor films where like, sometimes you're just like, man, I can just put this on whenever. And then sometimes you're like, Oh, what were you thinking? Uh, like the uh, the last detail follow up. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was that again? We're just like, why uh, is this flags exist? Fl last flag flying. Was okay. That it? Maybe. <laughs> I think At it any was. rate. 
Uh. But speaking of Linkletter, uh, Before Midnight is the weakest of the trilogy, and it is a really stunning movie with amazing performances uh, that is riveting, but it is it just pales in comparison to the other two movies. Um, and it just is like... I I think it might suffer because no one is ever in the mood to watch a married couple fight. <laughs> like I'm never going to just throw like unless I'm watching all the movies and seeing the arc, like I'm never going to be in the mood to watch Before Midnight. Um even though it's a very very good movie. Whereas like Before Sunset, oh man. Uh I can see my uh Sunset is the second one, right? Yeah. Before Sunset, I could throw on any time. Um and then before sunrise, because it's the first one, it's a little easier to just dip into. But like before midnight, not one of the top ten. Here's what I think you'll agree on. Okay. Although, man, I do love it, and it, it's still it still might be my favorite Von Trier. I uh, I'm gonna take off Melancholia. That's a that's oh, a, it's a, it's a little, little bit of a tough one for me, but I. Ugh. I just heard a hundred so, voices crying out in pain uh, as their <laughs> as their world ended. Uh, of course, I. But, but it's funny, like you're talking about. I don't. I don't ever get in the mood to watch Melancholia, but I. I get, <laughs> oh really? I, I, I get especially lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, at the same time, I, I I definitely have a stronger response to it than you did at the time, mm-hmm. and I don't I. Mm, but I don't know. Maybe maybe if I watched it again, some aspects like the Kiefer Sutherland character might bother me this time. I don't know. Uh, I I actually watched it God, during the so, pandemic. So... I watched it like in April, and uh, oh really? I, all, I, hmm. I still don't like it. It's still it's it's like there's things about it I respect and I think it's beautiful, but I just think that the screenplay is very shallow. Um, I I, I yeah I could that. see I could see that argument for like especially the wedding stuff. Yeah. Um, but I knew it wouldn't make the final ten. I'm I'm okay with it. Okay, and we apologize to everyone who loves Melancholia, uh, which I think people probably consider a lot of people probably consider the greatest work, like post Dogville thing that Lars von Trier has done. It's probably true. Um, I know there's there's some who are super into the house that Jack built, but I don't think that had the same uh, impact. Did you see that yet? That's that's a weird one. No, yeah. I haven't. One of these days, I'm gonna watch like a bunch of Lars von Trier in a row, but like that movie specifically is sort of like a him talking about himself in his career, right? Like it's a very meta kind of a thing. Meta is yeah. probably the wrong word, but it's a kind of yeah. Um, anyway, it's something. <laughs> I'll I'll watch it one day. Uh, let's stick in the M. You should. Midnight in Paris is a movie. It was the last time I think that a lot of people kind of all got together and said, "Wow, Woody Allen is back." Um, and I don't think it was. I didn't even think it was true then. And that was back when I was a really diehard Woody Allen fan, which uh, uh, not so much now. Um, or at least I I do not see Woody Allen's movies in theaters. I'm sure at some point he'll be dead, and then I'll be able to like watch Hannah and her sisters again and just sort of uh, feel okay with that. Um, but uh, Midnight in Paris, I never thought was anything particularly special it's novel and fun the way that like some of his 80s films like a uh, shadows and fog or something is kind of novel and fun but uh certainly not very deep it's bill and ted's excellent adventure yeah (laughs) but i kind of like the idea of woody allen doing a bill and ted's excellent adventure Uh and it was fun i enjoyed my i enjoyed my time watching that movie 
but I don't get a strong desire to rewatch it like I do his earlier work either. So, um, I'm okay with taking that off. Again, it's a time travel movie, so normally I'd be very huffy and puffy. <laughs> it's like you're not, you're not taking that off. No, I'm I'm fine okay. with that. Whew. And we also get, jeez, we also get to a director that has three titles on here that we both love. Of course, my radiator's going off, so now that's going to be in the background awesome. a little bit. Uh, yeah, it happens. It happened in the last episode. Uh, so the director I'm talking about is a guy by the name of Quentin Tarantino. You may have uh. heard of him. Uh, I'm having trouble, once again, similar to Linkletter, deciding what to take off because, lordy lord, I kind of love all three of the movies on this list. You know, and it's like, I, I don't want to be shallow and just kind of go, well, you know, Django Unchained has, it has that, you know, him playing an Australian towards the end, and that's really dumb, and I don't like that part. That's the, that's the only thing I don't like about it, literally, like, and, ugh. And people really do hate that Hateful Eight. It's kind of funny that, um, you know, I talked to, I, I talked to a lot of my f- film friends friends from like Indiana who aren't nearly as obsessive as I am and they see you know like they'll see the latest Paul Thomas Anderson movie or the latest Quentin Tarantino movie just because I'm such a nerd and I always have something to say about them and they're fans too but man they they just like go man I can't stand Inherent Vice and I can't stand The Hateful Eight why do you like those movies? That's (laughs) funny. I think I might take The Hateful Eight out. I... And it's, and it, uh, it's hard. I like all three that are on here. Really, really, I, I mm-hmm. love this movie. I loved our experience of seeing mm-hmm. it for sure. Um, but the by the way, the way again, we're doing this is kind of hap- like it's not like the this is the order. This is like a ranked list of 137, and the order they come off is the order of how good they are. So, um, yeah, like I think Hateful right. Eight is way better than a bunch of movies on this list, but it's not going to make our top ten. So we can. We can say goodbye. I think that movie's real cool. I think that movie is his The House That Jack Built, where that movie is very much like, here is why you are coming to see a Quentin Tarantino movie, and here is how I feel about you feeling that, um, and I'm going to set you up to think you're going to do one thing, which I have been doing since Inglorious Bastard, or really since uh, Death Proof, um, and then deliver something very different. um, True. and I love that it just got this massive 70 millimeter roadshow presentation and the whole thing just is like an Agatha Christie thing in a cabin. Like, that's so fucking funny to me. <laughs> but uh, Hateful Eight, exactly. not one of the top yeah. ten. That's fair. Um, uh, right next to it, The Hurt Locker, not one of the top ten. Um, oh, right. Yeah. I guess I would take that one. Yeah. Uh, I remember that being... Again, I love the director. That but, just being like yeah. totally heart pounding. Uh, just, I it was just totally shook. Um, when I saw it in theaters and then that's a, one of those movies that like I reflected on a little and I'm like ah, there's actually parts of that that aren't really like so like I feel like the the whole thing with like the little kid the I feel like all the bomb defusal stuff is great and all the other stuff uh, other than when he returns home is less great I think the stuff when he returns home is also mm-hmm, great but mm-hmm. uh, Hurt Locker not one of the top 10 okay how about the world's end can I take that uh, off? I'm going to go ahead and say make another choice. 
I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be in the top 10. I do believe it is too soon. Yeah. I kind of felt that way as I said it. <laughs> it's I, I World's End is a movie um, that as I like the more I see it, the more I wonder if it's the best Edgar Wright movie. And I say that as someone who saw Hot Fuzz four times in theaters. Uh, I wonder how you would be uh, like again in, in in the realm of Pixar with me saying I think we have different we might have different preferences over a Pixar movie that could make the list. I don't know if it would make mm-hmm. the top 10. I don't know if either would uh-huh. make the top 10. But I'm I'm not as crazy about Up as a yeah. lot of people are. I do like yeah. it a lot. Uh, I just think the whole final act with the with the dogs fighting in the airplanes and stuff. I think just that kind of climax didn't do much sure. for me. But everything else I love about it. The emotional the climax of that movie and the action story climax of that movie are two separate things. Um, and, and in an ideal world, yeah. they would be the same thing. How about this? How about you take Correct. off Up and I take off Inside Out, a movie I don't think is very good. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love Up dark. so much. And granted, I have not seen Up in perhaps six or seven years. Uh, but, like, Up is, like, you know, it's it's the cliche, but, like, the opening of that movie just absolutely destroys me. I think it is so beautiful. I love the imagination of it. I love that it isn't a, what if blank was real? Like, I love that it is just this wild adventure story instead of, like, talking cars, talking feelings, talking this. Um, I I love that, uh, I love the ending. I love the beginning. I I love the adventureness, the, or the, uh, the sort of thrill of the adventure of it. Um, I'm not necessarily going to say it's in the top 10, which is why I'm okay with you taking it off, but also I don't believe it in Inside Out is one of the top 10. You know, I can't defend it as one of the greatest mm-hmm. works of art of all time or even thinking sure. it was going to make the final 10, but I like thinking of it I like thinking of it as a film for generations of children who may have trouble processing sure. their emotions. Like if they see it, that they see it, it could help them and make them feel less alone. Kind of mm-hmm. like with yeah. Pump of the Volume for me as a teenager. So like on that level, I think it's a special film and I think a lot of people who've seen it agree, but I wouldn't also put it. I, I certainly have a, a strong emotional response to the ending. Not, I don't love everything about it. I don't think every joke works, but I, yeah, okay. well, you, you can take it out. For me, it's fine. Inside Out is a. I think that its main flaw is that the story. So there's like two sort of concurrent stories, right? There's the story inside of her head, and there's the story of like what's actually happening to her, and the thing of. I moved to another city and I don't have any friends here and I'm sad about that is so mundane and so just like, I don't know. I I grew up, I moved around. I like, I lived in like six different cities before I turned five. So like, I I might just be uh, a little jaded on this, but like, I, I just think like, this is such a cool premise and the idea, like the metaphor just doesn't work because the story that's happening to this little girl is so boring. Um, That was my feeling on it. Uh, I'm just I'm not a fan of Inside Out. Uh, I do respect what you said about uh, children seeing it and finding value in that. Like I think that would if that's true, and I I believe from what I've heard it is like that I've heard from parents saying that that is absolutely the case, and I think that's awesome. 
Um, so I respect that, yeah. but uh, I yeah. don't believe it's one of the top ten. Um, so I, I, I took off Up and I took off Inside Out. Uh, and now it's your turn again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Things that make you go, hmm. I am not a fan of Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I think there okay. are admirable aspects of it. I think I found it largely sort of personally, I found it largely sentimental and corny. Um, and I appreciate okay. you sacrificing movies that you like that I don't. I kind of feel like now I have to find one and do the same. Like, uh, uh, I saw one and I'm like, Oh, I might want to, I want I might want to filibuster about that one later. So let's hold off on that. Uh, here, uh, Mustang is a real movie. Oh, um, yeah, that's a good that one. That I think is, it's this, uh, it, it, I forget the country it's from. Um, is it Turkish? Um, yes. Anyway, it, it was, I found sure. it extremely moving and powerful. I thought all the performances from all the young actors were really good. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing where, it's the kind of movie where it's like this is I'm trying to think of the right word, way to phrase it. I I guess that these kinds of movies that are in some way they exist to be advocacy, they exist to say like here is an issue, here's something that is happening in the world that is a real problem and here here is the toll it takes. Those movies can feel very like just sort of mundane and predetermined because there are so many issues driven movies and I thought that this found a really strong emotional center for that uh, sort of story of how women are treated in this country. Um, sure. Mustang is really, really good. I am not going to fight for it to be in the top 10. Yeah. That's another that I should watch again. Man. This is another that where I'm like, I, I think it's a pretty remarkable work of art. And I don't know why people didn't champion this director's follow-up the way I did. But at the same time, <laughs> talk about like with melancholia, I don't ever get the craving to be like, you know, I'm in the mood to watch son of Saul. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I was like totally on board with this style, this director, yeah. what he does. And he did it very similarly with his uh, follow-up film that is escaping my brain. Um, I'll get to it in a second. I'll find out what it was. It's like I felt so strong about it, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, th this this director's pretty pretty heavy. Uh, his his follow up movie is called Sunset, which took oh, place in Budapest right. before World War One, and uh, another really hard to watch movie. But at the same time, I can't. I, I don't think Son of Saul is in the top 10, even though, again, I think it's a pr pretty special work of art. Like I said, yeah. uh, son of Saul Ugh. is a movie that for me, I am like so skeptical of, cause I found it so powerful and so overwhelming, but at yeah. the same time, because the subject matter is the Holocaust, um, 
you I you I feel maybe an overly sensitive need to just be like to really te- like and I feel this way when I watch uh Schindler's list as well where I'm like when I see a movie about something that is so horrific and on such a massive scale um and I walk away from it feeling like wow what filmmaking it's almost like it almost like mm-hmm. I'm I'm almost suspicious of it being disrespectful and this is a movie where it's exciting this is an exciting film and that almost in itself is like ah oh, should the holocaust be turned into like this roller coaster thrill ride i don't know i just i just don't I feel know like i've read a couple of critics who felt that way who definitely had yeah you know, and I think I think I think you make a movie where it's all on this person's face and everything is happening in the periphery, which is if you haven't seen Son of Saul, the style of it is the camera. It's not mounted to him the way that like there's shots in Requiem for a Dream where the camera's mounted to the actor, but the camera stays like in a pretty tight close up of the actor's face the whole movie, um, and you're seeing like these absolutely horrific scenes just happening sort of out of focus in the periphery, um, and that almost feels like the director admitting like. When we make a film about the Holocaust, we can't actually do the horror justice. And we sort of inherently trivialize the cost of it by making it a film that you pay money for and you buy popcorn and then you go and sit in the seat and watch it. Um, But like, so it feels like he, like the style and the approach is in itself trying to address that concern I have. But at the same time, I'm like... I don't know. I don't know about Son of Saul, and that and that's probably just me being like overly cautious or whatever. Because I just found it so amazing and overwhelming and powerful. Um, but that is that's just like the one thing that sort of gives me. Pause. I think it's good to ask that question. I, I, yeah, I think that's normal and, and healthy and smart. But yeah. Um. Uh, my next choice, he also adapted, and again, I think it was maybe my number one of that year. That was the. This is going back to the beginning where we uh, went to see this in the theater together, and uh, I was definitely moved by it. I don't think it'll make the top ten as much as I do like where the wild things are, um, and I've seen it twice now. But you know, I I I don't feel as a hundred percent overwhelmed the way I did the first time I saw it, and. It's not that I can, again, think of specific reasons why it's gone down a notch for me. I just didn't feel as, I don't know, as as connected to that world as I did the first time I saw it. Maybe it's just be the lack of surprise or, you know, when you watch it, you kind of know what to expect this time around, that it just didn't grab me the same way. But I do, I do love the story. I do love what they did with it, I think. You know, Spike Jones is a great filmmaker, um, but I'm not going to put. You know what? You know what? I just realized hmm. we don't have her on this list. Oh my gosh! What a weird oversight. What year was? Yeah, what I, year was her? That had to be in this. In no, this you know what? Period. If Inside Lewin Davis is in here, then yeah, <laughs> it must have been because that that was my yeah top of the year. I don't. I'm. I'm not really a big fan of her. I'm not going to argue for it to be on this list. But if you want to add this to the add it to the list, and then we can have that conversation later, I'm totally okay with it. I should have watched it again to confirm. I don't. We don't have to put it on the list. I don't think. It would, I don't think. Even as much as I love it, it still wouldn't make the final mm-hmm. ten. And that that holds true okay. for where the wild things are. Um, okay. Have you watched it since we saw it? 
Where the Wild Things Are, no. That's, I, Where the Wild Things Are, like we were talking about Inside Out as giving kids like a vocabulary to process their feelings. Mm -hmm. Where the Wild Things Are feels like ostensibly it's that, except no child would ever choose to watch this like dour handheld camera like it's like the anti-kids movie more or less <laughs> like yeah like if, you, if you're a kid and you watched where the wild things are a lot growing up you probably had insufferable parents who didn't let you watch disney movies and like colorful things that appear to children that said i think that movie's really cool and i have not revisited it since i saw it in theater so i have no real strong argument for it um I want to go go ahead. I just saw this is still on the list. The Revenant is a ridiculous <laughs> movie, and it just have to log up this list. No, um, again, very memorable sequence. Um, yeah, it's funny though because I remember like grabbing my seat and laughing at it at the same time. But mm-hmm. I that's pr- pretty much the highlight of the whole movie. I can't believe Leo won for that movie. Uh, it's it's just one of those th- it's just one of those things that it's funny to look back because again that's a movie that had so much buzz and hype and they're like oh my god what an achievement and I feel like no one really talks about the Revenant anymore it was a it was a it was a production story it was all publicity you know it was all like he actually did this but the movie itself is just kind of ridiculous. Um, I hate to do this one, but I think I will. Just because, okay. I mean, I just, I, this is, when we first came up with this idea, this was one of the first movies I rewatched in light of the uh, sad passing, way too young, of Lynn Shelton, mm-hmm. Hump Day, which, uh, again, I do love, and I find almost top to bottom funny. Like, I'm laughing quite a bit at these characters and the, the reactions to what they're doing. Uh but I, I, I don't know what kind of ending I wanted from that movie. I, and it didn't have to be, I, I don't know, I wouldn't call it unsatisfying, mm-hmm. but it just didn't like wow right. me either. Uh, but I still love those characters. I still could revisit it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more as a slight comedy than anything profound. Right. So that's kind of why I'm taking it off. It's Hump Day is one of those things that's exciting. Um because it just it felt so different from everything else it felt like it felt like it was a uh wacky seth rogan comedy kind of premise but then just taken like with the emotional takes stakes taken extremely seriously um Mm -hmm. and i it's not i think i think lynn shelton's final film was her greatest film i think sort of trust is a better movie yeah um yeah I, i agree yeah hump day's hump day's really cool though i feel like and, I, and part of the way they made that film was sort of they didn't know where it was going. So in retrospect, you don't necessarily have the tightest uh, sort of story structure. But for me, I want that movie to be about the end of the second act, they fuck. And then the third act is about them dealing with the fallout of it. I wanted it to be. What's that terrible, uh, not terrible, but a deeply flawed Jack <laughs> Black movie with James Marsden? Uh, D-Train? I wanted it to oh, be D Train. Wow, I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone forgets about D Train, but uh. Oh man, yeah. Um, that's right. So I'm going to go ahead and because you have been so generous, sacrificing movies, so I don't have to say negative things about movies you like. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice a movie that I, is on this list because I love it. It's Killing Them Softly. Um, which I again, second time watching it, I liked it more. Not you not did. enough to because I remember you, not enough to put it in the top ten, but I definitely liked it more. Yeah. Um, Andrew Dominic's. I think part of it is it's his follow up to Assassination of Jesse James, which 
was, you know, just wildly critically adored. And this is a movie that's not that achievement. And also, uh, it's a movie that has a lot of very on the nose references to the current. It was, you know, it's a very much a in the way that pretty much all genre, fi- all crime films became. Uh, it was maybe one of the first sort of indie crime films about the recession and about the collapse of the economy. No kidding. Um, and eventually it was like, oh yeah, that's just all movies. But uh, um, that was that was one of the first ones. And all the stuff with that is really on the nose. But I think all of the small character beats of like ignoring the political subtext, I just think all of the performances are amazing. And I think every, it's like one of those movies where I don't know if it amounts to anything that much, but every single scene is great. Very talky. Um, very talking. Yeah. I was really surprised. In a way that I really like. Yeah, like there's not a lot of shoot 'em up action in it. It's it's more about character interaction and you know, their their conflicts together. Uh but I again like I I I you know, the um the the sort of David Lynch homage of the slow motion uh assassination, I guess, of Ray Liotta is didn't really work for me, uh, and yeah. I don't know. The ending's just fine, but I like. I definitely liked it more, and I certainly really liked James Gandolfini more, way more this time on a second watch. And maybe it's just because I, I'm gonna miss seeing him <laughs> and seeing him be so great in everything he does. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it's worth seeing for the performances, and it's a it's a very interesting kind of out of nowhere movie with with a great cast, but. I I I feel strongly about it, but not as much as his other films, or his other film, Fair. I should say. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> this is getting hard. Uh, man. Spotlight. Let's take out Spotlight. Yeah, let's take a spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to say a whole lot. Spotlight's awesome. I don't want to say a whole lot about it. Let's just take it out. I, I do yeah, think let's... it's pretty great, but mm-hmm. not great enough. Um, uh, no, It's maybe too early to take that one out. Uh, let's see. How about we take out... Uh, some of these I'm like, I'd have... You know what? Here we go. Holy Motors. Holy Motors is a movie I rewatched mm. a couple days ago. Um. Because I find the structure of that movie and the sort of bizarre, surreal premise of it and the way it proceeds uh, to be really fascinating um, in theory. But in practice, I find like the second half of that movie, uh, especially upon a rewatch, it sort of confirmed the feelings I had the first time I saw it uh, to just be really slow. And it and I and I just have no emotional investment in anything that's going on. And when it slows real down and tries to go for those sorts of things, I just don't think it works. Uh, Holy Motors is like there's a version of Holy Motors that is my number one on this list but the version we have is not one of the top ten it's kind of how I felt the first time I saw it I was yeah. again I, I I don't I think I was in denial I feel like the year this came out I was sort of like no you don't understand Holy Motors is genius and you probably were like yeah it was really cool but it, I just wasn't that into it and I feel like now I've sort of come around uh, to ha- to your thinking but there will be people who are mad yeah. that it's not making our list. I know people who would think that. Hey, top that ten performances to of there. the Obama years. Dennis Levant in this is a strong contender. Oh yeah, 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 no doubt. Last year, I think it might have been my least favorite movie of twenty twenty. The uh, remake 
of force majeure. <laughs> oh boy, uh, not good. You know, and it's and it's tough for me to take out force majeure because I, mm-hmm. I do love it. We had a great experience watching it, despite a very annoying patron <laughs> in the theater. Um, but I, uh, there's a scene where the <sighs> where the the main uh, the female lead uh, is just sort of squatting and peeing in the forest, and there was a guy in the music box who very loudly said, "I don't know why we have to watch this." <laughs> I think about that all. Whenever I see a character peeing in a movie, I think about that guy. <laughs> um, but it's a great movie. And yeah, yeah. It has a lot to say. Very, very similarly to. I don't think you got a chance to see it, but uh, Loneliest Planet. Ah. Uh. Uh, there, there's an inciting incident in which the the, the male protagonist is, does something horrible. And questionable. Well, not really questionable. Just downright bad. And <laughs> uh, you're sort of wrestling with what they've done, and the characters are wrestling with what they've done. Ugh. Oh, it's so hard because at least I think Lonely's Plan is like the very serious version of it, and mm-hmm. Force Majeure at least has a sense of humor going on. Yeah. Uh, and I really got to re- I got to rewatch that director's movie that you love too. The that- Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm yeah. gonna love that one more on a rewatch. I forget but, the name of the of the director, but I, I I'm just really into his sensibility. I think he just has yeah. a really, really he's very good at just sort of poking through awkward human interactions and finding for sure and finding the bullshit at the center and exacerbating it in hilarious ways. And uh, I really like Force Majeure a lot, but I can I am okay with seeing it go. Um, okay. Actually, since you brought it up, uh, I have not seen The Loneliest Planet. I sort of intended to rewatch it, and I didn't get a chance to. Um, if I said that's not one of the top ten, would you fight me? Um, <laughs> Physically, no. in the street, would you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna arm wrestle you. Okay, uh, we're, we're we're good. I mean, it's. I do think people should see it, and there's a lot to talk about with it. Ugh. Again, you have to be in the mood, yeah, and you have to be able to put up with, you know, kind of a huge dick, <laughs> to, you know, for ninety minutes and sort of process what's going on. Yeah, I, I, t- couple. When it comes but. to huge dicks, I really top out at twenty. I gotta say, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, understood. Yes, that's your max. That I gotta be like, God damn, I gotta go get some water or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> You know, I know you. That's this is tough because I want to make sure that horror is represented on this list in some mm-hmm. capacity, and mm-hmm. uh, you can sort of define what that might be. But, whew, I'm torn between two titles. <sighs> I think I'm gonna. It's 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 hard because, man, I can't wait. I like if there's one reason to live through 2021. It's to see Robert Eggers' new movie uh-huh. uh, um, about Vikings with a great cast. But I, I'm i okay with taking out his debut off the list. The Witch. Yeah. The it, Witch. It, as much as I like it, I, mm, I just don't feel as strongly about it as certainly The Lighthouse. Um, and... I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily again like get the desire to rewatch it over and over again. Although I respect it and I think it's a great, 
horror film in general, and I certainly like how it ends. I, there's nothing I, again, I can say that is bad about it. Maybe, you know, when when you first see it in the theater, and if you don't have subtitles, it might be hard to understand people. Uh, yeah. But that's not really an issue. You know, you can get past that. I, I'm okay with seeing it go. I, I think it's probably its chief flaw is that it's just too respectable. Um, <laughs> where, whereas the lighthouse is like, ah, this is this is what, what this needed to be. I don't know. The witch is awesome. The witch is... I, I'm really into art house kind of horror movies that are actually scary, which is not so many. Um, and I just really respect it when it pulls... Even in movies where I'm not a big fan of, like Hereditary, which is not qualify for this list so we don't need to get into that but like hereditary in the moments where it's actually scary i'm just like god he really knocked it out of the park that movie is terrifying um for and a lot sure. of these and a lot of these kinds of uh self-consciously art house horror movies are um too too concerned with posturing to actually build a proper scare um and i found the witch to be legitimately scary so i think that movie yeah. is awesome but i will not fight for it to be in the top 10 Okay. I already have my next one because I'm like, I can't believe it's taking me this long for this one. That's funny. Like, um, so this is I'm, this is going to be maybe the first part where I cut kind of deep. Um, uh, this is a movie that... First cut is the deepest. Yeah, here, here it comes. A serious man is not... I. This is purely strategic. Ooh. A serious man is not the Coen Brothers movie on this list that you are going to have to fight to get on the top ten. And therefore, Clearly. I am going to... Take advantage of the fact that, for me, the Coen brothers in the Obama years, like, their last great movie was Burn After Reading. To me, that was, like, that was the last great movie they made. And we, we can have that discussion later when we get to another one of these movies. But I I like a lot of the movies they made afterwards, but I'm not in love with any of them. Um, I love you, Patrick, but I feel differently. Yes, yes, that is fair. <laughs> but a serious man, I don't think is going to make our top 10 of the Obama years. Um, then again, it's also a movie I haven't seen since its release, and I do I do wonder if it would hit a little different. Uh, so I think you should watch it again. I should give it another chance. That said, that is my choice. Do you reject it, or is that okay? I think I'm okay. I certainly love the ending more than most people do. And sure. I, I, there's, it has a good sort of weird energy going on throughout all of it and um oh my god Cy Abel is it Cy Abelson Ableton <laughs> yeah yeah that character oh I forget the name of that so actor memorable. but he's so good <laughs> he's so good oh man he should just be in every movie um so the other one I just saw and I'm like wait a minute I thought this movie was boring as shit and I fell asleep uh Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yeah, uh, yeah. Again, great, great cast. Uh, really well directed. I just could not get into it, and it's one of those movies. I think a lot of people agreed. I don't know. It was confusing, and uh, I just I didn't understand it. And I was kind of one of those people, pretty much. But at the same time, I'm like, is it me? That was one of those experiences where I was like, maybe I was just too tired. Maybe under different circumstances, I'll like it more because I should like this kind of movie. But I just didn't. It is the I love the art direction. I love the vibe. I love oh, the yeah, colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and mm -hmm. and super serious movies about spycraft um, are are just so tantalizing 
that I've I've seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy three times and I haven't really liked it any time. But I just every time I'm like, it's gotta it's gotta be in there. The movie I want it to be. It's somewhere in there. Um, and uh, God, that's happened to me so many times with with some movies. Yeah. I should make a list of those movies yeah. where I'm like. I don't really love this movie, but I'm watching it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Regardless, needless to say, it's not in, in director's club top ten. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna make another cut. So if you want to reject this, feel free. Two days, one night is a movie that I was lukewarm on that you were you felt very strongly about, and I just do not believe that it will ultimately make our top ten. Yeah, that's one. Maybe if I'd rewatched it, I could have a stronger argument. Um, I just, I think it was my first experience with those directors yeah. and I need to see more of their films. Um, and I like what they do and I like what they have to say. I like the acting. Uh, but ultimately, I don't know if it's their strongest work. And I felt really, really strong about it uh, the year it came out. But at the same time, I'm actually okay with that not making the final 10. Okay, I I I I thought it was pretty good. I thought it there was parts of it that were emotionally powerful. I think that I believe in the two films by the Dardans I've seen, and to be fair, I've seen their late, later work. Whereas I believe the the reputation is sort of built on the films they made in the '90s and the early aughts, um, yeah. which I haven't seen. The two films I've seen, I do not like their aesthetic one bit, and um. And in yeah, general, there's a in, lot of... In France, you get your own pizza. That was that's the thing true. about that movie. I was like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing I remember about that movie. The whole family, they all got their own pizza. And I was like, what a great idea. Yeah. That's worth putting on the list. Yeah. That was my big takeaway. Huh. Wow, wow, wow. This is getting, this is getting really yeah. real. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Oh. Man. I just want to... Can I just tell you what? Let's just finish this episode in about four hours. <laughs> I'm going to rewatch both of the movies on edibles. And then get back to, and get, then get back to you. Um, we should really get high and watch some uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Joe movies for sure. Um... See, Cemetery Splendor is about sleep and dreams, and you know how I feel about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Uncle Boon Me, man, that was that that was one of those movies we watched during this period that I went, "What is? What are movies?" Um, I don't know what to think anymore about movies, and that I love that feeling. Yeah. So it's hard for me to choose between the two, but I think. Hmm. I think I'll take off Cemetery of Splendor. Okay. I do love it, and. I want to see. I just want to watch all of his movies someday. Yeah, that was a movie I tried to watch, just not the right mindset. It was like one of those things. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, okay, this isn't happening. Not anything against the. Oh, movie. Oh no, you have to be in a mood. Right. You have to be in a certain mood for it, for sure. I think he is one of those filmmakers that, as long as the Gene Siskel is still around, they're going to do a retrospective. And so I'm like holding out hope that Cemetery of Splendor will return there, and I could like maybe not a double feature. That would put me to sleep. I would. I would not survive the double feature. But like. If I can see Tropical Malady and uh, yeah. Cemetery of Splendor on the big screen. Um, I saw one of... I went to the Chicago Independent 
uh, not Chicago in a Chicago International Film Festival, a shorts program, experimental shorts, yes. and I saw a short film he we did. We both just, yeah. Okay. We both saw that. Yeah. I thought that was good too. So I'm just all about this guy. But yeah, Cemetery Splendor is not going to make our top ten. I think he has a new movie coming out this year. I hope so. I think. I hope he gets just gets to keep making movies. Um. So I think Selma is an amazing movie and it's very powerful. Oh, I yeah. do not think it's a movie that either of us have the super personal uh, affection for. Um, and I just I don't see it being on our top ten of this of this list, even though it is a really great film. That it is that again, like it it it's one of those movies where every. Every chance it has to go generic and to make a boring choice that you've seen in a hundred other big, you know, Academy Award nominated films, like it makes a more interesting choice. Um, I think I think this movie is just fucking awesome. I just don't see it on our top ten. Yeah, what you just said could apply to Sicario. Okay, I do think it's yeah. awesome. I do think it's yeah. great. I. T- Talk about a movie that really just, ugh, really got to me as as it went on, and certainly, you watch you watch that opening alone, and like God, this movie's bleak. <laughs> yeah, God, you're not prepared to to to, to walk into this world uh, with these characters, and they're all so strong. I never I never bothered with the sequel, but maybe I will one of these days, even though it's a completely different director. And I do love this director, and I love. Of everything he's pretty much done. Did Enemy come out during this time? Perhaps. I, I think feel it like... did. I don't think Enemy is going to make our top ten. This, no. This episode's already going... To, I'm like already feeling like we're going to have to do three parts in order to actually get a ranked top ten list. <laughs> like, I'm already feeling that itch. Uh, so, maybe we don't need to add we'll any see. more movies to it. But, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. But, again, like, I love yeah, this yeah. director. I... I don't know if his other film will end up on the top ten or not. We'll see, but I can take off Sicario. All right, cool. And be okay with it. Um, the Handmaiden is a movie that I thought was really cool and twisty and turny, and was just like, man, mm. what a dazzling uh, sort of almost at this point old fashioned kind of De Palma esque <laughs> thrill ride. Uh, you know, and like they just don't yeah. really make like people. I'm just going to say it. Like, filmmakers, they're not that into Hitchcock anymore. It used to be everyone had to make their Hitchcock movie, and there are just not a lot of working directors today for whom Hitchcock is the guy. Uh, And The Handmaiden feels like one of the last gasps of, like, I'm going to do a crazy... I mean, I think it is more De Palma than Hitchcock, but, like, of that sort of lineage, uh, I just... I don't think it's in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can get I can get behind that. All right. How about a how about a right above yeah. that? Now we got a we got a mean versus here. We got that. Okay. I'm having trouble with, to be honest. Moonrise Kingdom versus the Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. Now I don't necessarily want to pit them against each other. It's possible they're both on this list. I just, it doesn't seem probable. It doesn't seem likely know. that they're both like, on this I, list. <laughs> no, and that's the thing is like, I, if to make it, to make a collaborative top 10, I highly doubt 
there'll be multiple films from there, the same there's, director. There's on it. one filmmaker on this uh, list that I could see multiple films uh, going on, but uh, uh, I don't think Wes Anderson is that filmmaker. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. If you are just asking my opinion, I don't think it's breaking any rules to just tell you which one I prefer. Yeah, because I I have trouble with this with this because I think I love them both equally. <laughs> yeah, I love them both. I think they're both amazing. Uh, I prefer Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel, I probably was just like laughed more and just had like a more rollicking fun time in the theater when I watched That's it. That's true. And in, I think I've seen it like two times since and it's just like, man, this is fucking crazy and great. I, I, it's like, this is just so funny and inventive and exciting and it's just like, for as much shit Wes Anderson gets for always doing the same thing, like, no, it's, he... He can still surprise you, and he and he. It still takes some actual effort and work on his part. Oh, for sure. He's not just sort of cranking out movies that all feel the same. And Grand Budapest Hotel is totally awesome. I prefer Moonrise Kingdom because Moonrise Kingdom makes me uh, cry. Okay, I, I can get behind that completely. I okay yeah, again, really hard there, man. Um, yes. Okay, so you go. Okay, so I go. Enter the Void is an amazing aesthetic experience oh. and also kind of obnoxious and irritating, and it's not in our top ten, even <laughs> though even though it's it's like I remember seeing it in the theater and just having my mind exploded, having never seen anything like it. And like but unfortunately that mind exploding experience was a lot of me trying to figure out how they shot it, as opposed true. to uh me getting very invested in the characters. That's very, um, very true. I, I feel exactly the same way. Um, and even to, to the same extent with Climax, where I was like, I wish I could have seen this in the theater. I would have loved to have seen... Uh, yeah, Climax was awesome in a yeah. theater. I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like his movies I'm are certainly no wacky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, could not could not make it through. Uh, with everything I've seen, with all the horror movies and seen everything, I could not do uh, Irreversible. Nah. Um I got I got sick to my I literally I got sick to my stomach I I'm I saw the opening scene so I ostensibly saw the worst violence mm-hmm. but I knew mm-hmm. I knew how the movie ends or how the story begins rather and I just I just felt so sick I was like I can't do it so Gaspar no not exactly my favorite guy uh, Enter the Void fucking incredible movie number one with a bullet for best credit sequence of the Obama era yeah. Which I f- didn't like Scott Pilgrim kind of rip that off, or was that, or they were both no, doing like Scott a Pilgrim was thing. doing like a weird Stan yeah. Brackage thing. Yeah. Um, there it was that it was that the dirties it was that shitty school shooting <laughs> found footage. I don't think that's shitty. Okay, okay, I believe <laughs> the dirties not on this list. Regardless, so we could go ahead and <laughs> not talk about that anymore. But um, yeah, it's 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 good ish. Um, all right, I, I didn't cross off Black Swan on my my side. Um, I guess I can always just refer to the Google Doc too. But anyway, I think it's funny. I was about to watch this, but it was it was midnight, and I'm like, I probably should get some sleep. Certified copy. I bet if I'd watched it again, maybe I'd feel differently. But I don't know. I certainly do love it, and I certainly want to watch it again and see what my response is now. Because it's been what? Has it been ten years since this came out? Jeez, just about. Yeah, I, I believe. God, it, I believe it time has, is yeah. weird. Um, 
Yeah, I, I I really responded to that one when it when it first came out, and I love the performances. Um, yeah, this is a, this is definitely a director I want to cover extensively at some point, and just revisit all their work because yeah. uh, I saw Close Up for the first time this past year. Or, and oh, right. that is a remarkable documentary, unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, Certified Copy is a movie I love in theory more than in practice, though I think in practice I'm still watching it and be like, this is amazing. I've never yeah. seen anything like this. It's yeah. so cool. And But like, I think Certified Copy, it's, it's hard to overstate the first time I saw it without having any idea of where mm-hmm. it was going. Like, just how much it expanded. You know, and I feel like this is something that it might be just an age thing. It might be a, I was this old in these years and I had this much experience and like through doing this podcast um, I I was exposed to so many more films that you know did so many more interesting things and I was I'm harder to impress now than I was at the start I'm not saying like certified copy is not impressive anymore but I am saying that like the first time I saw it it was like, oh my god, movies can be this. I didn't know movies could be this, and they can be this. Yeah, that sense um, of discovery early on, like even when we did the Joseph Losey episode, you just got like a, yeah. you got, you got such a thrill realizing, oh, movies can do all sorts of things, and I didn't realize it could be yeah. this and do this, and you know. Turns out, uh, it, not every great movie is something that got four stars in my Leonard Maltin <laughs> video guide, like 1995 video guide. Turns out cinema is so much more vast than that. No kidding. Um, yeah, that's totally. I like Certified Copy a lot, but it's not one of the top ten. Um, Black Snake Mode is not one of the top ten films of this era. No, I do love it. I do kind of <laughs> love it. I mean, wow, it's been a while since I've watched it, though, and that's... Uh... Yeah, I I wonder now if I would consider it. I don't problematic. I don't think necessarily. I don't. I don't think necessarily problematic. I think it is a movie that is very much trying to aggressively, uh, sort of shock you with its premise. But I think the way it approaches it, I almost might find it the other way around. I might find it too sentimental and unconvincing. Yeah, um, but man, yeah, one of one of Sam Jackson's better maybe problem. Actually, actually, now that I'm thinking about the way it characterizes. Uh, uh, what's her name's character? Maybe it is also problematic. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't know if I'd respond to it as favorably in that regard, but it's just like, yeah, that, that that's. I was thinking ugh. in terms of racial dynamics. That's who. Like, I, it's not race. It's I think in terms of gender, which is like it's a Craig Brewer movie, so there is just sort of a through line in his movies about uh, a very uh, let's say old fashioned view of sexual dynamics between men and women. Oh, but that scene um, when they're all dancing in the bar is just so fucking good. Yeah. Uh, the first time you hear him do uh, uh, Stagger Lee. Yes. It's like, what the hell is happening? Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is what I said out loud. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know me. I, I wouldn't... Hmm, I wouldn't mind... If my favorite actress made the list, uh, and she's, you know, you don't have to cut off anything you don't feel you should. Cut I'm, but off. I'm going to cut off Blue Valentine. I, I mean, it's hard okay. because, okay, again, like it's, it's one of those you have to be in the mood for. You kind of know where it's going. It's a very Cassavetes-like movie. 
and mm-hmm. there's God, two of the best performances ever. Um, it's worth seeing it for that. It's it's definitely if we were making a top twenty, it probably could sneak on there. If if you'd yeah. seen it and felt the same, but yeah, uh, I'm okay with taking it off at the same time. I'm okay with it. I can okay. S- yeah. Did that director make anything else? Yeah, the place beyond the pines, which is oh, pretty that's good. Right. Pretty good. <laughs> He is so so his niche is movies that make Patrick go, I should watch that, and then never do. <laughs> <laughs> also did uh, the HBO miniseries, uh, I Know This Much Is True, with Mark Ruffalo's best performance. Uh, he's just really good at working with actors. That's, that's kind of what I think is, like, his movies are great, and I do hmm. love them, but... Uh, Man, he gets some great performances, uh, like out of Gosling and Place Beyond the Pines and certainly Blue Valentine. And then uh, that miniseries is just, ugh. But again, like people call, people now call it misery porn. You know, like something like I Know This Much Is True where bad things happen over and over and over and over again. <laughs> to where you're like, I don't know if I can handle watching this because of how, you know, how horrible this life is going for, for this character. Yeah. But... You get caught up in any anyway, so. Hmm. Yeah. Bye, bye, Blue Valentine. Sorry. All right. Um, Inception is not one of the ten best films of this era. Uh, I think that movie's cool as hell. I think that movie also has a lot of very awkward exposition. Um, yeah. And it, I guess. every time, every time I think about that hallway fight or. Uh, some of the early stuff with the there's like that weird sequence where I never quite got the bottom of the context of like there's a riot happening outside. Uh, oh no, that that riot is oh, that's that the riot's not actually happening. That's in his mind. That's why I was trying to think of like what is politically happening in the scene where there's like a riot happening outside. But that's because the riot is a representation of his mind rejecting the dream that they're in because they're in like three layers deep. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Inception's really really cool. And every time I think about all the cool scenes, I think about like. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio just like puking up all these rules to Ellen Page and I'm like oh maybe not right now but they're so cool even the rules are cool you think so yeah I, it made me want to like if that ever became a thing like I could get a job as a I don't know what you call what do you call those people what do they do rule like, pukers do they have a, a they're, rule puker. <laughs> they're rule pukers yeah no not the the dream masters oh the architects <laughs> The dream, yeah, the dream, they're dream warriors, Jim. Okay, yeah, exactly. I want to be a dream warrior. I want to go inside people's heads and mess with them. Cool. Uh, no, in good ways. Yeah. Like I want to help them in good ways. Not, you know, like that's what a therapist does, kind of. Yeah. Are you are you okay uh, with seeing it go off this list? Yeah. Guess like you know, my two favorite Nolan films begin with N, so it's it's. That's yeah. that's the other thing, and we can have we'll have that conversation later. But like that's the other thing is there's another Nolan film on this that I know you will fight harder for, um, and uh, probably. But I also know I don't know. We'll see. It's a personal thing. Yeah, we can we can have that conversation <laughs> when we have that conversation. It, it'll be one of those things where once this list is shorter, it will become clearer because like we're talking as if we're deciding a top ten. But I think really we're talking about like four open slots because I think there's probably like six movies on this list that absolutely have to be on. <laughs> I know, and I I, I don't want to take out something like the Deep Blue Sea, uh-huh. but I do. Hmm, I think I, I think I might have to. Okay. 
I, I again, I wish I'd watched it again. Maybe I'd feel stronger about it. And I do like that director, but mm, it's a hell of a love story. Oh, that's man. for sure. I and uh, yeah, there's things about it, especially towards the end, that I remember vividly. That it's a movie I, I tell people you got to check it out, and you'll be incredibly mm. moved by it. But both yeah, the deep I'll blue sea. Yeah, the Deep Blue Sea and House of Mirth is just like, it's absolutely astounding what he does with melodrama. Like, it is so good in a way that no one is working yeah. on this level. And I, what did it, what was it, Sunset Song? Yeah, that one I was kind of cold on, I but then get A Quiet it. Passion, I loved A Quiet Passion. I'll have to give A Quiet Passion a shot. I could not get through Sunset Song, so I didn't, I don't think I gave Quiet Passion a shot, but, um... That's fine. The Deep Blue Sea can go. That movie is amazing. Um, and I love especially like the opening like 10, 15 minutes of it. Um, mm-hmm. And the scene in the uh, tunnel as they're getting blitzed yes. is like so unbelievable. Very and true. also like it's funny that that scene has a mirror in Atonement, which is also from this era, but not on this list because Atonement's oh. not that good. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, Deep Blue Sea is awesome. Um, I'm also going to take off the movie right above it, The Counselor, which is... Like, honestly, like, it's not it's not <laughs> as good as this, but for me, The Counselor is almost just someone going, going, hey, you want more No Country for Old Men? And me going, hell yeah, I want more No Country for Old Men. And they're like, here, here's some more of it. And I'm like, awesome, I love it, great. I wish this was five hours long. Like, The Counselor, I'm so into, and it's one of those movies that it got very mixed reviews when it first came out, and I am mad that I... Like, I'm really good at avoiding movies I don't think I'll like. I rarely go to movie theaters and see a movie I hate, and that's just because I avoid movies that I don't think I'm going to be enthusiastic about. But the flip side of that is I will miss out on something like The Counselor, which, like, I wish I saw this when it came out and I could have uh, and I could have put my two cents in because I think that movie is sort of unfairly dismissed and it's awesome. I love The Counselor, but it's not in the top ten. Yeah, you, Kurt Halfyard, Mike D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all... All convinced me to you know give it another look, and when I did, I again loved it more, and I thought it was really, really, really good. Uh, horribly, like I, I was very. T- I mean, again, it's Cormac McCarthy. I should be, I should be attuned to the fact that his movies are damn near nihilistic, and like you know, even even good people basically go to hell. Yeah, in his stories, uh, and. Yeah, I was I I I I was kind of flabbergasted, kind of watching it. I watched the director's cut, and there's just basically just a lot more sex and sex talk, not a whole lot of changes otherwise. But uh, just the fact that like the the Michael Fassbender character thinks he's doing something good, and that that leads to the ultimate like domino effect, this downfall of destruction with everything around him is just kind of sad. Like, it's just sad that he thought, Oh, I'm going to do this good deed. And also I'm going to get some money out of it. And also I'm going to, you know, do this other thing. And then it all just goes to hell. And you get to, you get to basically just live out a downward spiral, which, Oh, talk about if we were doing a a, a list of most memorable kills, Brad Pitt's character. Oh yeah. uh, Towards the end. Wow. Wow. For sure, it's even longer in the director's cut. I, I think cut. I've I think I've only like, seen the director's whoa. cut, so I can't comment on the differences. But uh, yeah, no, it's pretty great. I'm 
I, I do love Cormac McCarthy, but I can also, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to make the final 10 either. Oh, oh, oh my god. How about if I take out the imposter? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what say you on that? Okay. 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 Let's be let's be real. I have a The Imposter is a movie that I think is more interesting than it was given credit for when it came out. So like part of me is always like, "No, I have to fight for it." But no, I think that is fair. I uh Again, I like it I like it more uh, with the with a recent rewatch. I just I don't know. Maybe I just fucking hate that guy. And I hate looking at his face. <laughs> Fair. There's there's a there's been a couple of documentaries. Okay, let's take off. Yeah, there's the been imposter. a couple of documentaries recently, including a couple about essentially about incels that I am really torn on A finding them entertaining <laughs> or B it's like mm-hmm. aren't we just giving these people m- more attention than than they deserve because of like I don't know that's one thing I am struggling with like even 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 the recent Borat movie I'm like I don't want to spend time with these Trump supporters <laughs> right it's just a personal I, thing I think that me. was that was the struggle with uh, the Errol Morris movie Mr. Death was yeah. when it first when he, his early cut of it um, it's about someone who doesn't understand the limitations of his own knowledge and he follows what he thinks is a very logical road of thinking which turn, turns him into a Holocaust denier. And to Errol Morris, he was like, well, just him ending up in Holocaust denial automatically means that what he believes is ridiculous and that's the context is if he thinks he's, if the thinks the Holocaust didn't happen or if the number's inflated, that means he's t- terribly wrong and that... That's the interesting thing is how did this guy end up so wrong? But in early screenings of it, people were like, it kind of feels like you're giving a platform to his position and yeah. not explicitly. Uh, and he w- and to him, it was just like, well, it's so obvious. But then he had to sort of go back and specifically spell out why this Holocaust denial was so ludicrous and what happened. And I, and I think like it really depends on the context you give around it. Because if you're just sort of like, I just find different schools of thought so interesting um, without you're giving it the right context, then it's like, actually, you just wanted to gawk at the guy who thought there was a flat earth, and now four of your listeners are flat earth guys. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> ugh. You just, just don't do it. Just mm-hmm. just don't give a platform to the COVID deniers or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's that's fair. So the imposter, too, too hateable to stay on this list. No, but it's a great mystery, and there are things about it especially towards the end that elevate it. I just, uh... Directors Club top ten films of the Obama era. No, okay. and I do love. It. <laughs> I was not expecting that response. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, people hate this movie too. I don't. 
uh, it's not pleasant, and again, you do have to deal with a with a rather selfish jerk that's going down a downward spiral of sorts, and yeah, it's it's icky. Yeah. Um, but again, like you know, as a fan of both of these actors, I was very pleased and and really quite astonished at like some of the single take. Uh, just like it's, it, it just felt so naturalistic, and it's like he puts the camera in one spot and lets the actors do their thing. It's clear that Steve McQueen just, you know, loves acting and showcasing it here. And to me, it's like, oh, this could have been a play. You know, this really could have just been like an Oleana style play, and I love that so much. Uh, but as much as I love this, the, the, these actors in this film, I. I don't feel strongly enough to include it in the final 10 either. Okay. And understand why people don't respond to it favorably. Okay. I I I don't want, I don't want to panic you. I just I just uh, did a select all and then made this a numbered list to see how many we had left. We have to remove 62 more movies from this list. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to get done in 2 hours. So let's see if we could do it. All right, it. let's see. We, you know what? If this has to stretch across multiple episodes, I think I think this has all been good so uh, far. I'm, I, I love, dude, I love the reactions people are having now. They're like, <laughs> on social media, it's they respond to, no way, seven hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, just just listen to it in chunks. You can do it. You can do it. I don't, I'm not splitting them up. It's, I, my time with that is done. Okay. <laughs> in that case, you better knock something It'll off. It'll go as long as it's going to go. Okay, um... Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Kind of long. Um, but, hey, mm-hmm. I laugh quite a bit. And, God, that set piece of uh, him on Ludes uh, with Jonah Hill, one of the comic highlights of this era, I would say. Very, very funny. The hot, The highs are incredibly high, but it is inconsistent, and it is yeah. pretty long. I love Wolf of Wall Street quite a bit. It's not one of the top ten. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, Jim, this is another one. This is this this. Uh, I, I need your permission for this. Is Arrival one of the top ten of the Obama Ooh, years? Ooh, now it's starting to hurt. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. If you just say no, I'll I'll move on. We can we can return to it. Like I said, there's 62 movies yes, that are 61 yes, yes, movies. Yes. That... <laughs> That's kind of why I'm like, I'm okay with, there's there's definitely a couple titles up here that I'm willing to go to bat for. Yeah. This may not be one of them, and I'm okay with saying, take it off. Okay. Because I understand why some people don't like it, mm-hmm. and especially with how things wrap up. I can see it being hokey and corny to some people, and I don't feel that way. Sure. But I will understand your response and be sympathetic in this case. For me personally, <laughs> and I have not seen all of his films, uh, it is my least favorite film of that director's. So that's why it was an easy choice for me, but I wanted to make sure that you weren't going to fight for it to be on the top ten. No, I won't fight. It's okay. Okay. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
Which do I feel more strongly about? Okay, I think. Whew, this this one this one hurts a little bit. Just because I I love the conversation that compliance started mm-hmm. when it was first released, and the fact that like all these film podcasters I've been listening to all had an opinion, and it was really intense discussion whether on a podcast or. Um, you know, online in some capacity. And it's one of those experiences where, yeah, if you hate it, totally get it. And I understand the reservation of it being better suited for maybe a documentary than a, a narrative. The way they, the way they approach this material, that was the huge argument is like, was this the right way to go? And I can hear the other side of people saying, no, it would have been better done a different way. So I'm willing to take that off the list, but I just, that, that movie is kind of, it's not, I don't think it's a great five-star all-time top ten worthy movie, but just the conversation I think it stimulates is interesting. Yeah. I did not see it, so that conversation will not happen here. That's okay. But, That's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm okay with it going. Um, I might be in the minority. I think Armando Iannucci's thing works way better in television than it does on film. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think In the Loop is one of the top ten. No, it's a very good comedy, though. Very good. I think I think Veep is a strong contender for best show of the Obama era. Might be, um, right. Yeah. I mean, and it, like, if you want to be literal, like, it's probably the best show of the about the Obama era. Um, about sort of, like... Veep gets to something very real at sort of the heart of neoliberalism, and I think that they're, I think the, I think my current feelings about the Democratic Party are accurately reflected in that show. On top of it just being absolutely hysterical and full of really hilariously mean dialogue, um, but I do not think In the Loop is part of our top ten. I love this director so much. That, you know, as a Christmas present, I don't know if you've used it yet, but um, I gave you the access to my movie account because uh, this particular director has a short film available there that just oh, came out. Oh, God, I forgot about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You got time. Okay. Um, Peter Strickland mm-hmm. and uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. I, I, ooh. Because that's my first discovery with him. I think same with you. Mm-hmm. I I do I did respond very strongly to that, and more so over time. But he has a better. He might have a better movie on this list. That is not the movie <laughs> by Peter Strickland. And like I look, I'm I'm not so crazy as I think I'm getting two Peter Strickland movies on this list. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If In Fabric was on this list, I might try that crazy double Strickland gambit, but not this time. Um. Okay. So here, very good. Very good. Here's a controversial one. Uh, I have not seen this movie since I first saw it when it came out. Um, that's not. I watched it once on home video when it first came out on home video, <clears throat> and I liked it. I, I already liked it less that time than I did in theaters. The Tree of Life. <gasps> I don't know if this is in our top ten. <laughs> 
It's interesting because it would make a lot of people's top right. Ten. And it's and uh, it's one of those movies for like the first time you see it, it was just one of those things where you're like, holy shit, he came back and he came back swinging. Like, oh my god. At this point, a new Terrence Malick movie is not sort of the novel thing that it was. But like, it's it's kind of hard to overstate how gobsmacking Tree of Life was, and it, and just how unbelievably ambitious and just crazy that it existed and certain moments of it just make me cry so hard and I think it are so powerful and then there are other moments I don't think work and um, I think it's an inconsistent but it's okay for a movie to be flawed yeah. that's the thing I'm I'm coming around to is like you know what imperfections yeah hey. I just think when we're I'm, talking about okay. this competition as I scroll through this list I don't think Tree of Life is in our top 10 I think you're right. Although I gotta say, the the, the Criterion version with the longer cut, mm. I when, when I saw that, I was like, hmm, I do love this movie. That's fair. I really I do. I have not was, seen the, the longer cut. Um, this is absolutely the kind the of movie time, that can make a difference. But even with the longer cut, though, I thought I I think you could have excised some Sean Penn scenes and been mm. fine. I think it would have been even stronger. So. I'm in agreement. Visually, it's one of the more stunning films on our list. So, Absolutely. You know? Mm. Okay, out out it goes. Out it goes. Now, again, I bet if I'd watch this again, I might feel strongly, more strongly. And I also want to read the book, but Under the Skin is a film that I struggled with um, when I first saw it. I... I remember seeing it with somebody. I went on a date, <laughs> and we were the only ones in this empty theater in Grand Rapids, this empty art theater. And uh, boy, she was like, "Oh God, that that movie sucks so bad." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't. I didn't think it was that bad. I I think it has some interesting things to say, and um, it definitely I, like there were moments where I'm like, well, I feel like I'm in Kubrick land, and I feel like I'm seeing things I've never seen." done before especially when she's killing dudes i was kind of blown away by the score and the visuals and almost everything about it to be honest i just also the the final act or so where you know she's kind of exploring things and i i i guess i just didn't feel as strongly once she kind of uh walked away into the woods and stuff but i i still think it's a great film i i really do i I wish I felt it was this five-star masterpiece that most people feel. Um, but under the skin, I'm okay with taking out. Although I would put an asterisk next to it and say maybe, and maybe if we did this again in ten years, <laughs> after a couple more watches or something. I'm sitting here vibrating because I number one, I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but like this is a a movie that I really don't think should go, but b not a movie I've seen recently. And I'm thinking about if we just delay the conversation about it, I don't think this is going to end up on the top 10, even though it's like there's some part of me that's screaming like, this is a mistake. This is wrong. Like, unfortunately, I last saw this <laughs> movie. Um, when did I last see it? Oh, I think I, I was working at a video store and I threw it on and this guy comes in and he had seen the movie and he's like, oh, I hate that fucking movie. She's such a fucking goddamn bitch letting that kid stay on the beach. <laughs> Like he's he was like that fucking heartless bitch and I'm like man you missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, 
I mean, I'll put an asterisk. We don't have to. You want me to choose something else? I'll put an asterisk next to it. Okay, let's just let's I'm just torn. delay it. Let's like, cut it off later. <laughs> let's not cut it off now. Pick a different movie, please. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, Winter's Bone is okay. A, Winter's Bone. I can yeah, take that out totally. as much as I love. That's it. a movie that I uh, I wish I owned because uh-huh. that's a movie I bet I could throw on and be like. And it might have been the first. I feel like now there's a hundred Winter's Bones, but like that that sort of like indie art house crime yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like has strong rural regional vibes. Like I feel like now that's just this cottage industry. But at the time, it was like, wow, what is this? And who is Jennifer Lawrence? She is so like a she's so good. But b having mm-hmm. not seen her in like whatever sitcom where she played the hot daughter or whatever, like I was just sort of like, there's just no glamour whatsoever to the role. Um, and I didn't think of her as a movie star. Yeah. And it was funny, like once she became a movie star it became a little bit harder to be like super psyched about Jennifer Lawrence movies, but um, yeah, Winter's Bone is not in our top 10, but that's a cool ass movie and one I should probably nope. rewatch soon. Um, oh God. Uh, am I going to sacrifice my baby? I think I am. Room 237 is a fucking kick-ass movie. Um, it is oh, not yeah. one of the top 10 on our list. Um, I think I think a big... I actually got a, I actually got a I got a ticket for his um, latest movie to watch online because it's showing on Sundance. Oh yeah, it's called a it's called a glitch in the Matrix, and I'm totally down for the idea that we're all living in a computer simulation. Rodney Asher, movie Rodney Asher's yeah. ability to turn like I don't know what you would call it like paranoid urban legend into like cinematic gold is just absolutely insane. Um, did you see? Did yeah. you see the? I think it was supposed to be a series, but it only ended up being one and done. Did you see the thing he did on the uh, commercials for uh, the dummy? The uh, um, no magic. The mm. uh, it, it's on Shutter, and it's about like kids traumatized by the TV commercials for Magic, the uh, Anthony Hopkins ventriloquist dummy movie. No, that sounds crazy. It's so good. It's so amazing. Huh. I haven't even seen the nightmare yet because I'm for whatever reason I'm think like I don't. I'm not a scaredy cat when it comes to horror movies, but like the nightmare for some reason, there's something in me that says, don't watch it. You won't be able to sleep. So I'm excited to see the nightmare. I'm glad that Rodney Asher is staying in this lane where he's like, what if Errol Morris wasn't concerned about big picture things? What if Errol Morris was a weirdo (laughs) 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 who was, who was just into like this. There's this like weird strain of like everyday paranoia that is in these movies that is just so fascinating um, and Room 237, I, I love seeing it on big screen, especially because it was a point in time where I hadn't seen The Shining on the big screen. So just, like, like weird strain of, like, everyday paranoia that is in these movies that is just so fascinating. Um, and Room 237, I, I love seeing it on big screen, especially because it was a point in time where I hadn't seen The Shining on the big screen. So just, like, so much of that movie is just clips of The Shining and music from The Shining. Um, and it's already so hypnotic a documentary, and seeing it on the big screen, it was so much more powerful. But it's not one of our top ten. Because I don't, because I know you weren't as crazy about this movie as I was. I'm tempted to just go ahead and say, you know, it, it might be in my top 100 favorite films, but it's okay that it's not in the top ten for Directors Club. I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna sacrifice. The, uh, my, a baby of mine. Okay, it's hard. It's definitely hard, but I, I'm I'm gonna do it. 
Do I uh, not force you? The pen is hitting my paper right now to cross out mm-hmm. Take Shelter. Which What Yeah. I I I I just can't see it being on there in the what? end because I I respected Part, your opinion. Is it partly because because we already had that conversation? Yeah, I already know I already know what your feelings are and uh I respect them. I, I I can understand the response to it being just, you know, a relatively average portrayal of of, you know, paranoia and mental health and, you know, a character that's, you know, basically basically losing his his sense of self and certainly you know, uh, thinking he's doing the right thing by protecting his family while, but he's basically just having a, a manic episode of sorts. Uh, and I, I do say that Michael Shannon's performance is definitely one of my favorites of this era, but uh, like I, the way that people respond to the ending too is one of those things where I'm like, oh yeah, it's totally subjective. So I understand if you kind of shrug it off or mm-hmm. don't think it's profound or don't think it's beautiful or don't think mm-hmm. it's amazing. So it's okay that you think take shelter is just okay. Whereas I think it's pretty great. What? I'm, I'm accepting of that. We we've had our, we've had our bonus episode where we talked about take shelter. Um, I, I don't feel the need. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. So I don't have to, um, it, I'm not saying it couldn't have made the top 10, but you definitely would have had to push pretty hard. Um, so I am okay with seeing it go. Now, if it had been Revolutionary Road. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, the classic film that everybody loves, Revolutionary Road, uh, is not the Obama era. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Shannon in that movie is very Indeed. funny. Uh, do we think The Edge of Seventeen is going on our top ten? See, that's one of my favorite coming of age films from this era. Is there another one? Okay, but is there another one that I I could be okay with? Well, I mean, Moon's right. Moon, another coming Moonrise of age. Kingdom. Mm-hmm. How about Moonlight? Can Can you see Moonlight going? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, is that the last? Is that the last Oscar winner on our uh, best picture winner on yeah. our list? Yeah. Okay. Because I think I like that Beale Street so, could talk even more. Oh, it, I, if Beale Street could talk is is a, it's a big step forward. So I'm super excited about to see where that dude's next movie is because if Beale Street could talk is incredible. I think that's coming out um, this year too. Mo- I hope. Moonlight is a really great movie. Um, it is not in our top ten, and and that's a uh, coming of age story that we can eliminate in, instead of Edge of Seventeen. Mm-hmm. All right, so go ahead. Okay, we're definitely not going to get two Sarah Polly movies <laughs> in the top ten. <laughs> um, I wish she would. She's just she's just a mom and tweeting now. I wish she would work some more, but I'm not going to force her. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> just like, yeah, just every day send her tweets. Tweets. Um, hey, why aren't you working more? Why aren't you working more? Um, I'll, I, I, I'll take off. Um, no, this is this is too hard. This, this is one. very, yeah, this is very big of you. 
Ooh. This is really difficult for me. I can't I can't decide if you are being extremely brave or if you're being extremely disloyal. <laughs> <laughs> to myself top ten, or top ten anime betrayals to the to these movies. Where without you they have no advocate. Um, not no advocate, but no advocate on this podcast. Cause I, I just in my head, I'm the only one that loves Take This Waltz the way I do. Like mm-hmm. you, I, like I don't even know if people I, like I think Bill Ackerman or gotten... Zach Batante like it <laughs> that much. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know anyone who likes it as much as you. But I do think there are people who are enthusiastic about Take This Waltz. Yeah, there's there's a few. There's definitely a few out there. Um, hmm. But ooh, am I really gonna do Take Shelter and Take This Waltz in a row? That's yeah, nuts. You don't have to. You don't. Uh, these are. This is this is nuts. Uh, but it's just again so personal. Like I I feel like those two movies in particular were just like oh I I know this feeling or I know this situation or I know these people or I know why she made these decisions mm-hmm. and the you know like why a song like Video Killed the Radio Star is just so appropriate for this ending and it's so beautiful and amazing and that scene um, is so good that scene is so good in the. Uh... Mm-hmm. Both scenes. That's right. That's right. It's the ending as well. Both scenes are so good. Yeah. But I'm also okay with taking it out in the end. Because it didn't even make my um, you know, top 50 favorite films, and a lot of people were surprised. But I'm... I, I, I actually feel more strongly about the documentary. Okay. In the end, because I, I like I when, when after we did our favorite films episode, I was like, "Yeah, stories we tell should have been in the top 50. But okay, okay, I'm taking take this waltz out. Is this is this like an instance where it's like it's almost like an assisted suicide where like <laughs> where it's like you hear the uh, the soldiers coming and you know that me killing these movies would be more hurtful than you doing it <laughs> gently. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so you're like trying to get ahead of it. Um. All right, I'm gonna knock off. Uh, in 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 the spirit of um, narrowing the field of fascinating documentaries, um, exit through the gift shop. I do not feel as strongly about as I did when I first saw it, um, and I think it's I think yeah. it's awesome. I think it's also very self-aggrandizing, and I think that it probably is. A little too much promotional material for Banksy uh, to be like a great film about art. Um, and, sure. And so I'm going to say Exit to the Gift Shop's not one of the top ten best films of this era. Um, even though I think probably as far as just like opening sequences go, um, oh. that Richard Howley yeah. song. Uh, Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. Uh, like I can watch that sequence over and over and over again. It make it makes me so happy. And that like seriously is like it changed the way I think about urban spaces within the minute within the, the span of the two minutes that that opening sequence is happening. Um, and it just like it changed the way I look at the city around me and stuff like that. Like that was just a massively important experience for me. Um, but I'm not gonna fight for it to be on the top ten. You know what else is a great use of a song? That? Um, that Fleet Foxes song in Jacko's Boating. Yeah. 
I really like that. I really love, love the, the sweet melancholy of this film. Yeah. Uh, it was a movie you know, we and, watched together. I have fond memories of seeing it with you and not knowing that Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to drop in. Yeah. I get so sad knowing he's gone. And, you know, it's at the same time, it's like... This movie is so... Uh, it, it, it's so... Not awkward. And that's how relationships can feel. It's not all like mm-hmm. you're finishing each other's sentences and everything is clicking. There are moments of, ooh, I, I can't believe I did this. Or, oh, fuck, I just burnt the dinner and now I'm pissed off, so now I have to go into the bathroom and be by myself. You know, it's like I, I, was, I watched it again for the first time since we saw it, and I kind of went, I, I do love it, but it's also kind of slight at the same time. Like, I, at the same time, it's like it is one of those... It's one of those drippy indie dramedies, but it's done well. And yeah. it's done with sincerity. Yeah. It's done with heart in a way that speaks to me and is certainly a nice showcase for everybody involved, there's including no, John there's, Ortiz. There's no... I will say, and I, I agree with you, and I do think that's why it doesn't belong in the top ten, but unlike a lot of drippy indie dramedies, uh, which is just a very terrific phrase. Thank you for that, Jim. Um, <laughs> unlike a lot of drippy indie dramedies... Uh, it isn't slick in any way. It's yeah. It feels like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who directed it, as well as uh, being the lead actor, it feels like he really wanted to just be earnest and straightforward. And there's a few interesting things he does visually, but for the most part, he is not trying to impress you with how like cute or quirky or clever he is as a director or as a actor or anything. And I I do really appreciate that aspect of that movie. The one thing that got me a little frustrated, though, is like, God, I need to go swimming again. I miss going swimming. There's so many scenes of him swimming in this movie. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't know if that's safe at all in this this time yeah. to go to a gym and be like, I'm going to get half naked and yeah. jump in the pool. Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea, but I miss swimming. And there's so much of it in the movie. It's such a sweet movie. I really hope people seek this out, even though it's not making mm-hmm. our list. So, um, I think the Sunset Limited is a great movie. It is, it, it is only slightly more than a film to play. And I think any attempts to elevate it or to like do some kind of flashy editing where we cut outside of the room where they are or anything like that would have made it worse. So I'm not saying that that was a wrong choice to make it slightly more than a film play, but it does not feel like an achievement the way many of these other movies do. Um, though I will say, like, if you want to talk about Patrick movies, like, if you want to talk about my outlook on life or whatever, like, Tommy Lee Jones' final speech in this movie is basically what I believe. <laughs> Which is, like, not not too cheery or whatever. But, like, I think when he just, when he says, I think the world is a forced labor camp, uh, I think about that phrase uh, about a hundred times a day, and he goes, "Are there other viewpoints? Yes. Are they do are they convincing? No. Like I think about that like all the time. Do they? Do they? <laughs> oh man! And I'm like Samuel right. Jackson they, trying to talk bear, you out of it. <laughs> do they bear much scrutiny? No, they do not. Like that that ending. I I think my, I think probably my main problem with the movie is that I do not believe Samuel L. Jackson's character has his world shattered 
by Tommy Lee Jones. I do not think that someone who has been through. I think I think he has his day. The way he's at, he's like, no, no, I can't hear. Like he's talking like it's it's like the reveal where. It's like the ending of that movie is like, and I've been the devil the whole time, and you have, and I have your soul, and you're dead, <laughs> and like it's this like big thing where Samuel Jackson's just like completely losing it, um, and I just don't believe that this character who has been through the shit he's been through and has the strong religious faith that he has would have his mind blown by nihilism. Like I just don't think he would be unprepared to deal with his nihilism, and I think yeah. that that ending is a little corny in a way that it could have. And, and like, and to be fair, like, I don't side with Samuel Jackson. I side with Tommy Lee Jones. But like, I do think that uh, it's a little overly clear that Corvick McCarthy sides with Tommy Lee Jones, and it makes that ending seem a little lopsided in a way that makes me go, eh, not top ten material. But I think The Sunset Limited is a criminally underseen film. Um, and if you are the kind of person who just like really likes dialogue driven, just like really crackling. Um, sort of battle of wills between two characters sort of things like the sleuths of the world the death traps of the world and stuff like that like obviously those movies have a wildly different tone than this but like I just kind of like that kind of film structure and I think this is a really great version of it so uh, Sunset Limited's awesome it's just not in the top 10 you you still need to see um, Richard Linklater's tape I do which is just it's it's filmed in one location which is uh Two, uh, three characters. I own it. It's similar, similar, similar to that. You know, I love that. You want to you want to know another movie that I think about all the time that is not a good movie, but I but is this similar sort of thing is conversations with other women. Huh? Do you remember this? I don't think I saw. I don't think I saw that. I did see thirteen conversations about one thing. So conversations with other women <laughs> was it's two characters and it's like two people meet at a party and they have a past and they're like oh seeing you here again and they decide to go up to their hotel room. And the thing about the movie, it's like a gimmick movie, and the gimmick is it's all split screen. So a lot of the times it's like one side of the screen is one character, one side of the screen is the other, and then occasionally one side of the screen will like edit it, like will just sort of cut to a flashback of their happier early times or whatever. It's not a good movie, but it is a two people, one location, uh, dialogue driven kind of filmed play sort of a thing uh, that I am fond of nonetheless. Anyway. Uh, we should probably keep moving. So, <laughs> not talk about that. Not talk about C tier Aaron Eckhart movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, this is really hard to. He's my favorite director, and uh, taking you know, uh, it's really hard to choose between the two. <sighs> But I'm I'm willing to take out the master, because I also know how you feel, and I also don't feel as strongly. Folks, I'm laughing because Jim is in the Google Doc, and he has renamed the master as the masturbator, which fair. He does. He he masturbates in the film. And Paul Thomas Um, Anderson masturbates while making the film. (laughs) Of course, Um, but yeah, I. Again, you know, again, R.I.P. Philip Hoffman, and you know, I, I do, I, I think the entire ensemble is great. Like I, had, I, I watched this again recently. I'm like, oh yeah, Jesse Plemons and Rami Malek are in this. I had no idea. Uh, there are things about it I adore. Obviously, when we saw it together, that was yeah. a memorable screening, and it yeah, was yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. 
I, uh, I wrote a four-star review of that movie for our website. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you, I think it was also for Row 3. Oh, too, maybe it was just for Row 3. Operational. Um, yeah, I think so. That, that's um, probably a terribly written review, but... Uh, that was yeah. I'm that was a movie that I cooled on, but when I first saw it, I was super hot on it, and uh, total totally understand why people love it so much. Yeah, I just don't. I don't entirely love the end. Like I just I shrug off a moment that I think is supposed to be really powerful and emotional when he's singing. I'll I want to get you on a slow mm-hmm. boat to China. Like I should be like you know he's crying. I I. I don't feel I th- what I think I'm supposed to be feeling in that in the final. Is it, like, you think 10 it's like just too esoteric a choice to have that kind of emotional I guess, wallop? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, and that I've. But part of me is like at mm-hmm. peace with that. Part of me is like, okay, I'm I'm okay with the fact that ten minutes of this movie maybe doesn't work for me in the way that most other things in his filmography right. all of it works for me practically but I I feel way stronger about a different sure. PTA movie now as most people know yeah if you listen to the uh, top 50 movies that Jim did with Bill that that's actually it's funny that podcast uh, which I don't think we've referenced yet or no I think you referenced it earlier but like that has colored a lot of this because now I know uh, your re-evaluated stances on on how much you love certain things and that's like changed my way of like okay what is this top 10 list actually gonna look like but uh um okay the the master is uh is gone i am okay with that and i apologize to everyone listening who's screaming and who's screaming i guess i guess jim should apologize because they're probably just screaming at you that you are giving it up so easy when snowpiercer was right there and snowpiercer Snowpiercer that's true. is a cool ass sci-fi movie and i love the hell out of it and i'm that to me is just like a this is what I wish popcorn entertainment was, where the fight scenes and the action scenes are good, and it's got an intriguingly high concept, very uh, dumb is a strong word, but let's just say broad uh, high concept premise <laughs> um, that is just like so on the nose as an allegory, but like, screw it, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I like that uh, because everything else is just so pleasant and pleasing, and it, and it has that Bong Joon-ho thing where he's just able to balance all these different tones um, and it just makes all these smart choices, but it's not one of the top ten movies of this era. How would you feel about me taking out Nightcrawler? I'm fine with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great performance. Especially. Um... Yeah, I, 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 again, another one I watched a, a second time recently and really liked it and certainly agree with you more about the fact... <laughs> we had that, like, argument that I didn't think that this like, that character... I'm like, no, there's really people like that. There's people out there who do those types of things. And, you know, you're like, no, it's all a metaphor. It's clearly, you know, and I'm I'm more on your side now. <laughs> like, like, watching it again, like, yeah, this, this, a lot of this fly. <laughs> It's <laughs> in reality. I don't Night, think a lot of this Nightcrawler is a movie that when it has an opportunity to go big and showy, it does. And there's a more yeah, subtle yeah, yeah. Uh, version of that movie that would probably have a better chance of being on our top ten, but it is not that version. Um, 
It is still great. Correct. Also still, still great. great is Mommy. Um, very moving Xavier Dolan oh, right. movie. Yeah. Uh, performances are all great. Uh, Zin's sort of willingness to experiment with form uh, and and uh, his some of his formal choices and just really to wallow in truly just sort of outrageously bad behavior um, in, in, a, in a loving way. Um, not a, oh, isn't it so off-putting? It's like, there's nothing cool about the main character of Mommy. There's nothing like, oh, they're so, they're so gross. It's just like, oh, God, you're, oh, you, you are, you, you seem like a teenager who has behavioral problems. Like, you just, uh, I think Mommy's fucking awesome. I don't mm. think it's the greatest moment since Citizen Kane. <laughs> that is, who is that? Was that Thomas, Thomas Wishloff said that when he wrote in the... <laughs> Uh, where he had seen it at a festival and we hadn't yeah. seen it yet. And mm-hmm. he described the aspect ratio change as like the most groundbreaking thing that had, you know, I forget. I'm, I should not be unkind to Thomas Wishlov, who's an awesome guy, who's very smart. And I love that moment too. And like, you for know, sure. congratulate, uh, sure. good on him for being excited about that and getting energized when he saw it in theaters. Uh, I, I think Mommy is fucking rad. It is not one of the top ten. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this is getting really crazy. Go, try cutting one that I try cutting one that I, I love. <laughs> don't How about Leviathan? Cuz I mean, I I there are movies on here that I do love. Yeah. And certainly is Leviathan I not one of those movies? On. It's a tough one. I I remember really liking mm-hmm. it. I remember thinking this is not like anything I've ever seen mm-hmm. before, and being kind of mesmerized by it. But did I feel like, you know me? I'm Mr. I'm all about emotion, mm-hmm. man. I want I want to feel movies. I want to I want to I want movies to feel like a big warm hug. Sometimes. Did you feel that movie was cold? K- kinda. I just. I mean, but at the same time, it's it's very observational. It's it's not flashy. It's not really. It's just it does what it does, and it does it well in a way that I've never experienced before in a documentary. I feel like I've experienced it maybe since then, but I I don't know if I feel as strongly about it as you do. Though again, I do think it's great. Like okay. it's got to be a four, at least a four out of five for me. Yeah. Okay. At, I'm I'm okay with seeing it go. Um, if this was not a collaborative list, if this was just my list, there's a chance it would end up in the top ten. But even then, I wouldn't say it's a lock. Um, and I mean, it's it's of the movies on this list, it is a movie that I think about way more often than anything else. And like, I just, I just, I just think about it the way I think about memories, where I like I remember when I was mm-hmm. a, a fish on the on the deck of a boat. And it's it's like it happened to me. I don't know. It's hard to describe Leviathan. I think that is fair. Um, oh yeah, stingrays get killed. Fuck this movie. Oh yeah, that's true. I don't think I think the stingrays are getting killed regardless. They just sort of yeah, filmed I it. Know. But <laughs> fair enough. Um, I don't think Drag Me to Hell is one of the top ten movies of this era. No, I guess. I mean, again, I kind of want. I kind of want horror to be on yeah. some. I mean, we got a couple more, but I, ugh. yeah, 
God, I love it though, and I love Raimi. And, yeah, but Maybe, I'm not gonna fight. I'm, I'm, let me let's see. I'm just gonna take a quick. Of what would I consider horror? What is still on here? I I see. Uh, Definitely d- two more. One. Uh, two. Uh, d- d- three. Four. Yeah, I I just I just don't see Drag Me to Hell getting on there. That's okay. I Drag Me to Hell is Drag Me to Hell. It is Sam Raimi operating. It's Sam Raimi doing what he does best, but like finally doing it with like some money behind it, which in some ways makes it less fun than like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Um, but at the same time, it's like I'm glad that he got to get there. I'm glad that 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 Sam Raimi movie exists as well, that we don't have to wonder what, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't have to look at, you know, like, I feel like there's some filmmakers who only ever operated on a small budget, and you wonder, like, well, what would have happened if they got the money to do this idiosyncratic thing they're doing, but on a larger scale? And I'm glad that Sam Raimi got to do that. I just don't think it's in the top ten. I mentioned Lucas Moodyson earlier. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's still making movies. I should check. Um, yeah. I don't think we are the best. Gosh, that is another great coming-of-age movie, though, and the music is wonderful. Oh, God. I don't think that's going to make the final ten, though. What say you? I think out of all the movies on this list, this is the like warmest ball of light where I just think of the title with the exclamation point and I just feel good. Like this to me is just candy. Like this to me is I'm glad I saw it sure. and I'm glad it exists in my mind as something to return to and think about and just feel good. Um, it is so overwhelmingly just good vibes. I don't know how else to describe it other than like, thank God this movie exists and at any point I could put this on again and just be charmed and adore it. Um, but how I feel about, uh, sing street, which I don't know. I don't think that came out during this time. It might have. I I think that was 2015. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, it was 2016. So that would have qualified, but you uh, never saw it though, right? I did not know. Yeah. I won't fight for it. It's okay. 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 I don't. mm, mm, Okay. Okay, we are the best can go. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. This is That's it, hard. this is this is weird. We're we are as they say in the shit. This is like all just bangers. Uh, one of us, all of these movies have one of us going like really hard for it. Um, but yeah, I feel like I should be holding a stress ball or something. Right yeah, now. yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna take another big swing, um, and then you tell me to aim elsewhere if if I if I must. Because I know this is a movie that I am way in the minority on, um, and not just in terms of not liking it. I do like it. I just don't like it that much, uh, or as much as everyone else. I don't think Mad Max Fury Road belongs on this list. Hmm. I feel like if it was anyone else's list, mm. it would get on there just by like just sheer <laughs> uh, force of personality. Just because like Mad Max Fury Road was a moment where all cinephiles got together and just screamed fucking finally. Yes. Like 
Mad Max Fury Road came out and it was like a it was like a collective orgasm. It really was. Like, just like everybody in the world was just, oh, we, thank God. We were like almost a full decade into an era of Marvel movies just having totally uninspired, boring-ass action scenes with bad CGI and fight scenes where the editing is too choppy and stuff like that. Like, we, we it had been so long since we've seen good action. And then this was a movie that was like a massive hit that... It had action on a scale. Like, there's something about... There's a lot of good martial arts movies coming out all the time just because there are super talented martial artists and there are directors and, and choreographers who know how to make that shit pop. But, like, the kind of big scale, like, massive action sequences that are both well-directed and expensive are really rare. The Like, for me, the platonic ideal of this is, like, Terminator 2. Like, Terminator 2... Um, like chase through the canal sort of that kind of action sequence that only can happen when you have someone with a ton of money and a ton of expertise and just an amazing uh, imagination putting it all together and creating something that is just like totally impossible to exist in any other medium but film. Um, and Mad Max Fury Road was that just for me, I really don't like how it looks. I really don't like the color grading and the speed ramping and and it just it, it, and it's just one of those things that's just like I'm just hung up on it in a way that is totally not necessarily objective, um, but and I feel like it's it's like one of those movies that it would be a no brainer for a list that was made by like let's say everybody on Now Playing Network, but like I think but yeah, yeah, yeah but I think sure. between just the two of us. There are ten movies on here that we are much more passionate about. Yeah. And I don't even know if... I like Tom Hardy's performance that much, to be honest. Like, I think he's fine. I think he is fine, as well. I don't... You know? I mean, I, I don't think it's a performance that exists to be a great performance. I think... Probably not. I think Mad Max in this movie is specifically... Like, we're going to put his name there because that's what's going to get people in tickets. But, like... We're specifically making him not the lead. We're making Furiosa the lead. Yeah. Which is something that I, I appreciate about Absolutely. It. You know. I just... I just there, there, there are specific moments and things when you see it, you'll never forget it. And it's just like... Yeah. You talk about a banger. This is a banger. Yeah. For most of, most of the running time, it's just like relentless. Yeah. And, and the downtime... Uh, most of the uh, downtime stuff works too. Sure. It's just it's just like one of those things where for me, I just look at it and I just go, I just I don't like watching this because because I have like brain brain worms or whatever. Have you tried the the with the black and white version, the chrome version? I, I have not. I wonder. I, I wonder too. Maybe. Um, it's yeah. I don't know. I I certainly like this movie more, but I also can be okay with it not being on the final ten. In the end, I think I could be okay with that. Okay, because I'm I'm also one of the people that are like, yeah, you know what? It's calm down. It's 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 a very good movie. It's it's a hell of an action yeah. movie. I I prefer the Road Warrior. Yeah, same. That might be the other thing. <laughs> we're like we're we're like I think I think we're just old. We're old people. Yeah. Uh, can I just sing for the rest of the episode? Please do. Um, Oh, white material. You love that one too, and I love that one too. Yeah. Man, 
Do you want to ask me if I think it should be on the top ten? I do. I I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just let's, let's take it out. That's that's fine. That's fine. I should have watched it again, but yeah. I mean, I that White Material was the first Claire Denis movie I saw, and Claire Denis has an approach to editing and has an approach to storytelling and filmmaking. She her movies have a feel that no other movies have, and. So that movie was a massively important experience for me, mm-hmm. but then I saw more Claire Denis movies, and I go, oh, okay, Beau Travail is the Claire Denis movie for me. Um, White Material is awesome. Good pick, good pick. But, yeah, okay. so White Material can go. I am going to say... Razzmatazz! Cheap Um... Whiplash? Okay. <laughs> okay. Rather than say this movie needs to go, I am going to ask you what your arg if you if you oh, had no. to make your if you had to make the best possible argument for never let me go to be on the top ten, what would um, that argument be? Okay. Well I really felt it represented god talk about a, a movie too that that the, the first half the coming of age segment really spoke to me yeah more. like i i uh, the the friendships there were so identical to my friendships growing up oh it really was kind of surreal yeah it was i mean i wouldn't say i was the uh you know the the, the andrew garfield lashing out character or anything but I just knew someone exactly like young Carrie Mulligan, you know, who lived in the neighborhood and we would hang out and there was a nice connection. Um, I was the Andrew Garfield lashing out character for sure. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And the, you know, them finding the cassette and him giving it to her as a kid, like everything about that segment really just works. And I, I think it's tough for me to argue because I read the book, and I would say that it allows for you to have an even stronger connection to the movie because you have more context with right. the character. You've, you've spent more time with these right. people. Um, uh, the... And I would say that, that the book actually expands more on their time together as partners rather than the film kind of rushes into the whole uh, deferral angle with with the um, headmistress and stuff. So that on one level is a little disappointing Mm -hmm. to me, but from the moment Andrew Garfield starts wailing towards the end, I'm a mess. Yeah. Like the, the, the final 10, 15 minutes, I'm kind of lost and gone. And I also think it's just a really great film all around. Uh, But I also, don't know if like I, I've seen most people on letterbox and not have the same response. Like they're mostly in the middle. Like, Oh yeah, it was very good. It was good for what it was. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, people have read the book. Oh, the book is much better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the material, so I, the mater- I can't make a really strong argument. The material is just sort of response. very powerful on a fundamental level. Like it's just one of them. It, because it, it, it has the twin thing of, it is just like one of the most upsetting premises you can think of. And also it is extremely close to what, uh, what capitalism and sort of the division of classes in the world is actually like. 
yeah. which is like yeah. we we work we labor to make the 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 upper class comfortable. Like that is why we exist. That is that is why when a pandemic hits, uh, instead of sending everybody home and paying them to stay home, um, in order to minimize the damage, they force the people who work at grocery stores and fast food and stuff to go to work. Like that is that is <laughs> yeah that that's a that's a heavy angle now that, to think about. You're right. That's the world we live in, and that is and so it's just like it's a it's fundamentally upsetting and incredibly relatable. Um, and then on top of that, um, I forget the name of the author of the book that it's based on, um, but he also wrote The Remains of the Day, which is a book I love, um, and, and that mm. was adapted into a movie that I think did not do the book nearly any kind of justice. Um, but it is also about the class system. It is also about the cost of devoting your life to someone else, and it is and sort of the... Um, justifications and the sort of uh i'm trying i'm trying to think of the right the right word the rationalizing that goes on to make sense of a fundamentally cruel world and like for example yeah if i if i was watching this movie without thinking about that as being one of this author's pet themes i might look at the angle where they're talking about oh when we're in love we get a dispensation like i i might have that is a preposterous thing and from the start, you can watch this movie and go like, oh, that's not going to happen. And there's not really much suspense there because you just know that it's false. But like knowing that this is about the desperate self-delusion, um, you understand why they are forcing themselves to believe it could be true. Um, even though there's no logical reason why it would be. Um, yeah, it's just inevitable. It's like there's just an inevitability yeah. to their lives and... It's, you know, especially when you deal with loss, you're trying to make sense of it. And this movie kind of really hits home towards the end when you think about why people go. And certainly, you know, I, I, I think about, well, if my dad hadn't smoked so many damn cigarettes that that, you know, fucking tobacco industries hadn't got him hooked on it, he'd still be alive or whatever. But it's like they're, they're just things, you know, and there's like little very subtle gestures and things throughout this movie that I think work. However, I am willing to admit the book actually fleshes things out even more to where uh, I can understand people preferring the book to the film. Mm -hmm. uh, but surprisingly, it's one of the few things that Alex Garland has written that I actually really love. And of course I love the cast and you know, everything that happens throughout the entire film uh, and certainly Mark Romanek is a director that I've championed for a very long time. And this was kind of a surprise because I just think of him as doing like weird Kubrickian kind of stuff because <laughs> that's his main influence. Uh, and he did a lot of weird music videos and stuff. And this one's more tame and sort of stripped down mm -hmm. in terms of what he normally does. But I, uh, yeah. I, so I, I want to say this. I think we should leave this on for now. I think you have you have convinced me that uh, I am not going to push for this to be removed right now. We might see this list after more has gone, and we'll and I will want to make that argument. But I understand why this is such a powerful movie for you, and why you have such strong feelings about it, um, despite mm -hmm. not me not feeling the same way. So I will pivot, 
And I will say that for me, when I look back on this film in retrospect, I think a bulk of its power came not from the filmmaking, but from the fact that it's an insanely upsetting topic um, dealt with in a really shockingly frank manner, and that is the act of killing. Um, I think any... I. I don't think a lot of the choices that, uh, is it Joshua Oppenheimer is the director? I think you're right. I think you're uh, right. I think a lot of the choices he makes aren't, don't work. Um, I think some of the footage he catches, some of the material, the the casual crime, war crimes and genocide that is admitted to in this film is just absolutely soul-shaking. Um, mm. And I just had an intense visceral reaction. And I remember at the time... Like, sometimes it's like, sometimes, you know, I, I, I have a selective memory where I only remember things that embarrass me or things were, like, I only remember when I, like, uh, like, not only, but a lot of my memories, a large percentage of my memories are bad memories. Like, I just tend to remember those more because, you know, I'm, I'm depression and I just focus on reasons to make myself feel bad about myself or whatever. Um, and one thing about Director's Club that I think about all the time that makes me sad, I'm like, oh, I, I must sound like such an idiot or whatever, where I started crying at the year-end episode talking about uh, the act of killing. Um, and my fear that it was just like, this is not a historical thing. This is something that can happen here and that I'm afraid of. And I think about that all the time because, one, I just think, oh, people probably listened to that episode and thought I was a real dork. And two, I still believe it. True to be true. <laughs> and... Um, so, like, I think that this is a movie that I hold in very high regard because it was it was such an upsetting experience to watch. I don't think it's necessarily a great film. I think you're right. I... Like, even as I say that, again, it's not quite what I mean. I wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, priming to sit down and go, okay, let's, let's see if this one holds up. Right, um, right, exactly. But I, 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 I actually, I know, already I, want to take back I, me saying it's not a great film. I just, it is not a, f- I will say there's most of the films that are left on this list that I would fight for are films that change the way I think about film and my relationship to film. And this was a, a story from world history that I didn't know about that was not massively upsetting, delivered in a way that maximized how upsetting it was. <laughs> between two Noah Baumbach films. Are you hold torn? It's even What hold, I forgot there's even Noah Baumbach on here. What hold on, I got to find <laughs> these movies. Uh, um, okay, there's one and there's two. You know what? You're right. We are not getting two Noah Baumbach movies on this list. No. And I think and I think we both know which one has to go. Even if it makes me laugh really hard. 
And Even if it's maybe the last great comedy film to be made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, it might be the, like, it might go down as history as the last great American comedy. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Bye-bye, Mistress America. Oh, it's so, it's so incredible. Yeah. It's so incredible. But, like, I just, yeah, I just can't see both it and Francis Ha getting on. And I just, Francis Ha is the greater film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like God, Mistress mm-hmm. America is so amazing. It is so. I know it's one of those that good. if I'm in a bad mood, I'll just put it on and feel better. It's it's like there are certain actors that they're in a certain thing that I love so much that no matter if they never do another great thing again, I will always root for them. Like for me, pretty much anyone who's ever been on The Wire, I like every minor bit part in The Wire. Everyone. I'm, whenever they pop up in something, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, Stringer Bell is here. Let's go. Avon Barksdale, he's back. Wood Harris. Like, I, I love them all because they're so important to me. And, um, oh, shoot, what's her name? Who's the lead in Mistress America? Uh, Lola Kirk? Lola Kirk or is Kirk. someone who I'm yeah. like, one of these days, Lola Kirk's going to be in something else that I love. Um, and yeah, I don't I'm, know. I'm just, she she focuses on her. It's interesting. I follow her on Instagram. She focuses mainly on music now, but I think... I think she's still in the acting game, but I, I, well, I, I do they like got her. And I really like what? that guy, like the kind of pudgy guy um, that she that Greta Gerwig used to go with. Uh-huh. And he shows up randomly in like TV shows or whatever I'm watching. I'm like, that guy is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, oh, I don't know who he is, and I should know his name, but he's awesome. Unbelievably, unbelievably funny. Yeah, uh-huh. that, the, oh, that, whole, that whole sequence of them at that house it's, where it turns into a screwball comedy, essentially. Oh, it's Lord. insane how good it is. Um, but you're right. Yeah. You're, you're right. And I'm friends We're with people who don't bugged. like it. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It's what what is I, wrong with you? It was probably my number one recommended movie when I worked at the video store because it's a comedy that to me is like, oh, of course, everyone would think this is the most hilarious thing ever. And no one's heard of it. So it's the most obvious recommendation. I almost never got anyone who was like, oh, yeah, that was really great. There. <laughs> Um, but no, we're on the same page there. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to say that 20th Century Women is not one of the top 10 films of this era. It's just a movie that makes me feel good. Um, I'll watch it again to confirm. It's it's just, it's got a lot of, I just like the style of it. I like the tone of it. I like the feel. I like every performance, especially uh, Annette Bening, um, who I think is just utterly phenomenal. But it's also just kind of a very standard autobiographical sort of a thing that is just like, it just feels good to watch it. I was just watching it and I was just so happy the whole time because it's like seven, it's like this, it's like a specific 70s aesthetic that I'm all about. It's a, it's, it's a specific sort of social point of view, everything. I'm like, yes, 20th century women makes me feel good. Um... It's not like utterly joyous in the way that we are the best are is any it, uh, is or anything, but um, I just love 20th Century Women, and that feels like a movie that I could just sort of as long as it's on Netflix, I can throw it on and have it on in the background as I'm doing something else and uh, enjoy myself. But it's not one of the top ten of this era. It's interesting how this director I've seen three three of his movies: Thumb Sucker, Beginners, and this one, and I. I don't remember much about any of them. It's weird. It's like I'm really excited. I know to see I kind of liked them. I I thumbsucker never interested them. me, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I that's fair. Like I said, there's nothing. Yeah. It's not really a. I should watch it again though. 
it just it just feels good to watch for me. I don't I don't think it's necessarily spectacular or anything. Certainly not compared to so many other movies on this list. This next movie is supposed to star Joaquin Phoenix, so I hope it's not um, mumbly Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I hope it's something better, something a little more humane than what he's been doing. I mean, It'd be it, kind of fun. Uh, what's his name in uh, 20th Century Women? Uh, oh God, what's his name? He's an almost famous. He's in Watchmen. He's uh, it's not uh, it's not the main kid from all of No, it's uh, it's the he's one of the he's in the band. He's in uh, he's Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen. I'm just totally blanking on his name. Anyway, I can see Joaquin Phoenix playing that kind of character, but we can move on. Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup. There we go. I can see Willie Joaquin yeah. Phoenix playing that sort of thing. Um, sure. I can get rid of Whiplash. I'm okay. I'll be fine. Yeah. I can I can get rid of Whiplash. Okay. Yes, it's okay. That's all. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, I love it, but you know, okay. I. I think this movie is good, but I, I certainly don't think it's one of the great films of this era the way a lot of people do. Um, and as far as I know, this is not a movie that you have strong personal feelings about, even though you probably like it more than I do. The Social Network, I don't think, is on this list. I had a feeling that was coming, and I agree. I guess. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay with that one going off. I Again, if it were maybe a top 20, I might have a argument for it because mm-hmm. it's just so damn entertaining yeah i don't think it's profound i don't think it's there are things about it that actually i don't like so much i i think that it's got, it's got aaron sorkin touches that irk me yeah where he does so spell things out I, and i'm just like all right that was not necessary but i anyway. i think that um that uh david fincher does good to sort of cancel out a lot of bad things that Aaron Sorkin tends to do. And I think and Aaron Sorkin's sure. dialogue it does a good job of counteracting some things I don't like about David Fincher movies. So, like, I think it's a it's a really beautiful cocktail of the two of them. I just think, ultimately, I don't care about the story. Like, every time I watch it, I just stumble... Like, I'm just dazzled by the editing and the feel of it and the look and the sound and the performances and everything. I'm just like, this is so cool. But then, like, about 45 minutes in, I realize I don't care which of these people become billionaires and which of these people become millionaires. And if this movie was actually about like the way social networks affect our daily lives and that sort of way that that technology changed the world, like if that was actually the subject at hand, that would be a interesting thing that I would care about, but it isn't. It is about a litigation between these rich people to determine how rich they're going to end up. And I don't care. Did you see Mank? Uh, no. Um, I cannot watch any 2020 movies without getting really upset and sad. Um, so I try, <laughs> I, I've done my best to avoid them uh, ever since we went to lockdown. Yeah, that's one I was pretty indifferent towards. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You should go for one that I like, because there's one on here that I think... Staying vertical. Oh, that wasn't what I thought you were gonna do. Oh, okay. Um, yes, that's fine. But at the same, but 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 but, but you know, again, I wonder if 
I'd, I, it was one of those, it was like, I was going to flip a coin between certified copy and staying vertical last uh-huh. night. And I'm like, no, I can't. I'm too tired. Uh, but I wonder if it, I'd like it. I'd want it to be on the list if I just watched it again. Because, But there are so many fucking memorable things about this movie. Yeah. And so many big laughs and so, so many cringing, awkward moments that I'm just like, ooh, this one is something else. And it's not like anything I've seen during this period, but I don't feel quite as strongly as you do. Just like, ugh, just by like mere inches yeah. or something. I don't know. No, th- <laughs> this is a movie. I don't. I don't know if this would. If if it was just my list, I don't know if it would be on the top ten. It's possible, but it's not a sure thing. Um, so I think it's fair that it doesn't make the cut. Um, Staying Vertical is another one of those movies that just so few people have seen that every time it comes up, I want to like just punch that much harder for it. Um, sure. but that's still see these movies, people, yeah, even if no, we're excluding at, at them this off point, the list. we're really, we're really in it. Um, I'm going to say that I am a much bigger partisan of this movie than most people, but, uh, Django Unchained is not one of the top 10 of the Obama era. Yeah. But I love what you have to say about it and people can listen back and uh, yeah, hear that. I think Tarantino is up to some stuff in this movie that people don't appreciate. And I, I think in general his movies are a little bit more subversive than he gets credit for. Um, but also it's very sloppy and also there is just something distasteful about it, which I have to admit is part of the attraction for me. But it is it 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 just mm-hmm. it's not it's not it. It's not in the top ten. It's not it. It's not in the top ten. Alright, speaking of really difficult decisions. Okay. I'm going to need your help. And, and Go for it. The fact that I just watched these two movies back-to-back uh, yesterday, I kind of went, I can't decide. I I actually love them both quite equally, and this is one where I might just have to say, flip a coin or let Patrick decide between Clouds of Sils Maria and Personal Shopper. I think I, I think That's I have fair. a stronger response to personal shopper because again dealing with grief and loss and you know there's it's just that movie is just so weird I'm like this is an, another one another one of those movies where it's like it's kind of an an anomaly where I don't yeah. know why this thing happened but I love it anyway and I don't know if this makes complete sense I don't know if this comes together as a completely satisfying whole but I'm still moved anyway and there's one moment in that movie where she's just sitting outside on on a deck and a figure kind of appears if you look really closely (laughs) in the background where I'm just like holy shit I am so amazed by this movie like I and her performance is incredible too Uh, in both movies so I I, again like I watched them back to back and I couldn't really say which one I love more because I think they're for me on par with one another I will say that it will be very hard for me to imagine this top 10 list without Clouds of Sils Maria on it. Um, and I'm fine I'm not with that, 100%. That, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it, that, that can't happen. I'm just saying it would, it would surprise me greatly if Clouds of Sils Maria is not in the top 10. And therefore, I would go with Personal Shopper leaving. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
is is that, is that okay with you? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, I have not deleted from the Google Doc yet. I'm okay with it. Again, really tough though. And yeah. Again, you more you watch that one, the more it creeps up on you. So do yeah, keep, do keep watching that one, folks. So this is a movie I thought was stunning when I saw it, and then I've never felt the desire to watch it again. Um, I think this is a movie we both love. I don't know if Boyhood is in our top ten list. It's a little long. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't feel. It doesn't really feel long, and that's yeah. good. And but I also don't know if I completely love the lead character's performance the whole way through. That's fair. And it's the it's like the 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 nature of the movie dictates that like it would be it would be shocking if he, if he ended up giving a perfect performance the whole way through. I hate to do this to Kristen Stewart again. Okay. Certain women. Uh, certain I'm gonna, women. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stop you right there. I think. I think you should try to make another choice. Okay. I'm okay with that. Okay. That really, I, it was hard for me. Um, well, I, I'm... I'm okay because, once again, we have another... Uh, more of a personal response film for me on this list that I don't necessarily need to be on a top 10 because it just it, it's the direction of it it's not nothing spectacular it's just one of those warm I, I always say like talk about this would be like if I were to make a, a or write a book about empathy in film this might be a, a really great example and something I would include uh, short term twelve. Okay. Which I understand not a lot of people also I mean a lot of people love it, obviously, but I'm saying I don't know if it's one of the top ten greatest of this particular period. I just happen to love everything. I, about I it. really, really like Brie Larson in short term twelve. Uh for sure. For sure. Um yeah. And just uh it just like that world and just like the you know the, what these people are doing to help i just i understand that instinct and i understand some of the things they say and do and the interactions they have and the fact that i was a teacher for a couple of years and some of them you know some of the students i had exhibited some of these behaviors and i it's just one of those where i feel overwhelmed by it and i understand when other people yeah. go that was good but not great and that's fine I'm willing okay. to take it off. I, if if this list was the top ten films that define the Obama years, I think this movie should stay on. But I, in, but the nature of this list is actually the, our top ten favorite movies that came out between 2009 and 2016. And I do not think Cheap Thrills Correct. is on that ten top ten list. Cheap Thrills, another like yeah. really underseen movie that I was seeing it in theater was like so much fun. It is so surprising going into it knowing nothing. Um, it's it's funny and it's shocking, and I think all the performances are good. And I'm just like just really really into it. Um, but I don't. I just I look at this list and I just can't see it. 
One of the best final shots. Very good. Very good final moment. Uh, of this era, yeah. I, yeah. Good lord. I, I, I've told people, you should have a you should have a Pat Healy double feature with cheap thrills and compliance, and you'll feel really good about the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, that's one I go back to, and yeah, I understand your response to it, and I agree. But I don't think it needs to be on here. When you look at some of the other titles we got going, yeah. Uh, hold on, just a second, real quick. Let me see. Uh, let mm-hmm. me select all mm-hmm. these movies and see what how many, do we, how many we find. This is a list of. 34 movies, so we need to... <laughs> 24 more! <laughs> this is ridiculous. This, this is, is the silliest thing we've ever done. It's <laughs> impossible. Uh, no, because I love so many of these. Okay, right. Um, I know you wanted to consider this one further. I'll go back to The World's End. Okay. You, it can go I'm, I do... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Edgar Wright, and I love uh-huh. this movie, too, mm-hmm. but... I, I feel strongly about his earlier two films as much as I do like The World's End, and I like that it's a you know, great story about alcoholism and friendship and the end of the world. I think <laughs> as far as Edgar Wright's thing, which when I think of Edgar Wright's thing, I guess I think specifically of Edgar Wright's thing when he writes screenplays with Simon Pegg. Um, yes. As far as Edgar Wright's thing in those three films, uh, I think The World's End is the most ambitious and most successful in its sort of uh, fusion of comedy and genuine pathos and a complicated sort of whirling maze of a script that doubles back on itself with, you know, that references itself and then references itself again. And then everything has three layers. Like I think it is the most, it it's probably not just the most out and out funny movie. Like I think that's still probably Hot Fuzz. Uh, Hot Fuzz is the movie that I quote all the time. But like, I I think yeah, I think you're right. I feel like The World's End is the most accomplished one. And it and just seeing the movies he's made since, it kind of feels like that this will always be the peak of Edgar Wright for me. And I'd love for him to prove me wrong, but um, I kind of we'll see. Yeah. This year he's got a sort of giallo homage or something coming out yeah we'll see but um i i am okay now uh seeing the rest of this list i am okay seeing it go um the lobster is a movie that i think has some flaws and is uneven and it's a movie that pales in comparison for me to uh killing of a sacred deer and that is why i'm okay to see it go even though it's fucking amazing it is fucking amazing, and I'm finally happy to say that because I wasn't as crazy about it the first time I saw yeah. it, and now I do love it. But I think I'm with you. I think Killing a Sacred Deer is even better. But um, no, upon a recent rewatch, The Lobster went up for me, and I think both halves sort of coalesce a little bit better than I initially thought. Uh, and yeah, I think it's remarkably funny at times and kind of kind of uh, like just unlike anything you've ever seen. And certainly to a point where it's put, it's, put, it's, put, it's put people off in so many ways that made me kind of giddy. Like when I talk to people about this movie, they're like, what? Why did that? What did this happen? What? Why did he do to that woman? Like, I just like, no, just go with it. <laughs> that's this director. He's like, you know, he's, that's why I can understand too. Like you, you know, when you see something like the favorite, you kind of go, eh. okay, I, I still love that movie, but. 
he it's not as weird and crazy and surreal and has as much to say about society as the lobster or killing of a sacred deer. Right. Uh, God. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make you do this right now. Uh. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. I'm tough. I'm, I'm real strong. Okay, um, Manchester by the Sea versus Margaret. Go. <laughs> I... I oh. do not think Manchester on the Sea is making this list. Um, on my wow. personal list, it absolutely would, without a question. Um, I do not, I do not see me being able, at, other than just through bullying, which we've already agreed not to do. <laughs> I don't see me getting both of these movies on the list, and Margaret is the greater film. Um, now that I've seen the extended cut, I agree. Um, so, although I have to admit, HBO Max's transfer of it was not the best. I don't know. Oh, really? I don't know why. Like usually, well, it, so the extended cut, uh, it's on the Blu-ray of Margaret, but it's on a DVD. It's not on a uh, Blu-ray. So I wonder more. if they just have an SD transfer. Yeah. It was the only thing made of the extended cut. Um. Margaret's one of those movies that, like, one of these days someone's going to put out a really nice edition of... Oh, actually, maybe not, because it's owned by Fox, which is owned by Disney, so maybe no one will ever hear from it again. But in a in a better world, uh, that would get a really nice edition that had a thorough documentary about the clusterfuck that is the making of that movie. We will talk... I promise you we will talk about Margaret later. We need to move on. Um, yeah. Manchester by the Sea is out, even though Manchester that by scene the between sea is out. Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams is remarkable. Now let's be real. Let's let's look each other. We can't look each other in the eye because we're doing an audio only chat right now. But let's let's be real, Jim. We want to be the kind of intellectual cinephiles for whom Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, <laughs> is like, oh yes, very challenging world cinema that that you know that uh, challenges our concepts of space and time. Like this is this is what I crave most of all. And it's gone. It's on this list for this long because it's absolutely amazing. And the first time seeing Uncle Boomy was another one of those experiences, like I talked about with Certified Copy, where I'm like, oh my God, movies can be this. Like, this totally changes the way I think about film. Um, I don't think it's on our list. No. I don't understand it, and that's fine. And again, <laughs> I, well, yeah, I let's want, be honest. I, I don't understand it either. <laughs> I want. Um, I, I recently said this too on the last episode. I don't mind movies that are very dreamlike and, you know, fall under the category of fever dream. You know, just like that doesn't make any sense, but I love it anyway. And, you know, certainly Lynch is kind of the master at that. Uh, and I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. And more and more I think about it, movies should feel like dreams sometimes, they don't always have to feel like reality. Uh, or be grounded, and certainly that particular director, Uncle Joe, whew, he makes some interesting puzzles that I think you should all seek out. Yeah. I need to see more of. Um, this is getting hard. Um, just, just to give everyone an update, uh, we, might have, I, we should definitely not have been doing this throughout because it, in the past the list would be so long it would just take too long, but I'm just going to read what is left right now. Okay. A Separation, Another Year, Cabin in the Woods, Camera Person, 
Carol, Certain Women, Clouds of Sils Maria, Coherence, Computer Chess, Drive, Francis Ha, Inglorious Bastards, Inherent Vice, Inside Lewin Davis, Interstellar, It Follows, Margaret, Martha Marcy May Marlene, Meek's Cutoff, Moonrise Kingdom, Never Let Me Go, Patterson, Shutter Island, Stories We Tell, Tangerine, The Duke of Burgundy, The Edge of Seventeen, The Illinois Parables, Under the Skin, and Upstream Color. That is what remains on this list. Uh, we need to probably cut another, like, 17 or so. We can do it. Okay. Let's shoot for another hour. Okay. I will take out The Edge of Seventeen. As hard as that is, I understand, too, it's not one of those life-changing, life-affirming experiences that some of these um, other I love are. the Illinois Parables. It is not one of our top ten. Yeah, yeah that I is a that experimental again. film by Deborah Stratman, who is a local uh, filmmaker. Uh, it's an experimental documentary, I guess would be the best way to explain it. There's no talking heads or interviews I think there's actually one archival like radio interview from the 40s that plays over one segment. But are there, they are ten histor- it's ten historical stories about the state of Illinois um, that, and you're sort of left to draw your own conclusions. It's experimental. It's extremely thrilling to watch. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I absolutely love it. It's not going to be on this list. You know what else I love? Cabin in the Woods. Okay, I really I'm do. Glad you I, said it. I really do. I really, 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 really do. I mean, it's watching that, you know, with you too. It was to me. It was. It's not on the same level as something like Scream, but it was as close as I've gotten, at least, to having like a really joyful time with a horror yeah. comedy, with a crowd, with you, and just like, you know, in our D box seats. Yeah, it was it was a great time, and even watching it now recently, I'm kind of like this thing still holds up. I mean, yeah, the the you know the CGI monsters towards the end, yeah, all that kind of looks fake and silly, and the blood mm-hmm. squirting and all that is just yeah, it's. But I don't know <laughs> what it says in the end about yeah. I think society just needs a redo. Let's just die and accept it. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about that ending that is like really really uh hits home and it's really funny at the same time and ends with a killer nine snail song and i'm like yeah this movie still rules but i don't think it's gonna make the final 10 as much as i love it i i i'm glad you said it i i think this is a movie that i had the exact same experience with you in the theater and then every time i've returned to it i'm a little less impressed with it and i'm and it just feels a little too self-satisfied for me sure sure um and by a little too self-satisfied, I mean it's still on this list, which means it's a phenomenal film and absolutely one of the greatest horror films of this era. Um, it's just like I don't, I don't have that deep passion for it, and I think I would if it made if it. I think its argument that it makes would be stronger if the sections in the cabin in the woods were actually scary in any way. Good point. Um, yeah, like even the monsters they conjure up. Eh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's more comedy than horror, um, so I understand sure. that that's, that that was not where their focus was, and balancing those two tones is extremely difficult, so it's like, I'm not like, oh, there was just an easy fix, and they didn't do it, they just didn't work hard enough, it's like, no, they made creative choices uh, that make sense for what they were trying to accomplish, it's just, 
Um, it's just not the ultimate version of the thing it is, and I think that there are at least ten movies on this list that are the ultimate version of the thing they are. Agreed. Okay. Um, um, do you think now is the time to start figuring out how many slots we're actually talking about? Um, it's supposed to be a definitive top ten, right? Right, but I'm saying there are certain movies that we haven't even mentioned yet that because I think we both know that they're going on the list. Oh, oh. Um, uh, yeah. I think, I think maybe. Okay, before we do that, um, if you can think of another couple on here that you could see go, we can do a couple more rounds before we do that. That's um, a good idea. So I... for me, I'm going to go ahead and say Carol is not one of the top ten. Uh, that was going to be my next I, pick. Okay, well, I'm sorry that uh, I took it from you. That's okay. Um, it's funny. Uh, I I think I love the look of this movie more than I love anything else about it. Um, I don't think I, even the first time I saw it, I ever felt particularly um, strong about their central relationship. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, just, I just loved I... watching it. Yeah. I think seeing this, uh, you know, I, I think seeing Carol and the Duke of Burgundy pretty much close, close together back to back, kind of summed up at the time at least why I love movies. And but one is obviously more original and visually astonishing, <laughs> or at least like one gives you everything, and I think Carol gives you most things. Like Carol gives you a lot of positive attributes that I can defend, of course. Yeah. And I certainly love everything about, you know, what Todd Haynes brings to the film. And I, I do find it kind of moving, but I am also okay with moving forward and saying it doesn't need to be on the list either. Okay. And I feel like we I probably can... don't need to keep saying it, but I always feel the desire to say, like, these movies are all incredible and no one is dis- being dismissive of the quality of any of these films. Uh, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wrestling with certain women versus mm-hmm. Meek's cutoff. I really am. I love them both I think, quite a bit. I think Kelly Reichard is the one director... Who could get two movies on this list? <laughs> I don't. I don't think there should be any rule that they can't. I do think that that is a harder ask. But I really do think um, that both certain women and Meeks Cutoff would are the kind of astonishing works that would grant that. That said, I've gotten the impression that I am a bigger fan of certain women. Than you are. Certain Women is my favorite Kelly Reichard film. I know it is not your favorite Kelly Reichard film. I would like you to talk about, uh, I guess, where cer- Certain Women ranks uh, in her filmography for you. I believe it would be fourth. Okay. That is Wendy and Lucy, Meek's Cutoff, First Cow, which I have not seen. seen First Cow. That is fair. And Certain Women would be right after. Yeah. So, 
speaking as someone who has not seen First Cow, um, I have not seen Night Moves, which no one is fighting for Night Moves, so that's fine. No, no, no. Uh, in that case. Um, and I've not seen, uh, what was it, uh, River of Grass or... Yeah, her first movie. I have not seen that either. But, so, Certain Women for Me feels like the final perfect marriage of material to Kelly Reichard's thing. It feels like Kelly Reichard finally getting the right project Ooh. that leans into all of her strengths and her and it's her doing the thing she does well better than she has ever done it in the past. Um and so by that I mean one Kelly Reichard is not a dramatist. She does not tell complicated stories about characters that have like intriguing arcs where it's like okay this happens and then this character knows this at this point but then this scene happens but that character doesn't know and that leads this spiral of events like that's not how Kelly Reichard operates uh Kelly Reichard is really good at getting a tone Kelly Reichard is phenomenal in terms of editing in terms of rhythms in terms of the the uh in terms of getting across a, a sense of place um very quickly in terms of sort of telling a character's story um, in very simple ways, the way that, like, uh, you kind of instantly know the relationship in Old Joy, um, the way that uh, you might learn more about the details of Wendy's... Uh, Wendy is the woman and Lucy is the dog, right? Okay, I apologize. It's just been a bit... So you, like, learn a little bit more details about why Wendy is in the situation she is, but pretty much everything that is important to know about Wendy in that film, you know very quickly, because that she is just really, really good with actors, and she's really good at those kinds of details that tell an audience who an actor is. Um, and she is very good at having these big, empty spaces, big, empty, ominous spaces that the audience fills in um, with their feelings and with these they just sort of feel suspended in a particular emotion and they're trapped in it and that's like wendy and lucy is a great example of that whole movie you just feel suspended in the hopelessness it's not like and then this scene happened and that's when you feel this it's like the whole movie you just have this overwhelming emotional feeling about it um so when you have this triptych when you have three short stories what you are doing is you are able to lean into the fact that she isn't someone who tells complicated stories over the course of a feature-length film um, with highly dynamic character relationships. Um, you're able to lean into that. You're able the way that she shoots. Uh, it's it Montana that the movie takes place in. The way she shoots Montana, the sense of place in that movie is astounding, and there's never been another movie that captures the, uh, I guess, the northern. I don't know what you would call that section of America with South Dakota, North Dakota, and Montana. But I've never felt that way watching any other movie the way I felt that. So, like, her, the geography is perfect. The stories, the short story format, short stories are a form that instead of being tied to beginning, middle, end, here is the narrative arc. Short stories are often about capturing a sense of feeling and tone. And they're about this sort of unfulfilled sense. And that is what Kelly Records really good at. Um, and that's certainly 
that's strongest in the final story. Like, that's sort of the biggest emotional wallop of the movie. Um, but, like, uh, the, the story I, I was I was least interested in the first time I saw it, Michelle Williams' story, it seemed the slightest. I now watch it, and I'm just, I feel for her so much. And it doesn't mean that she's like, oh, what a noble victim or whatever. Like, she... She's a person that if I met her and if I met this character in my, in my real life, I would probably like not want to be around her very much. She just you know, her like her priorities, the things that she thinks are important. But like you feel for the situation she's in, you feel for why these things are important to her. Um, and you are suspended in that feeling where she just feels no one's taking her seriously. She like there is this. It's, I mean, it's a je ne sais quoi. It's like, it's very hard to put into words, which is the sort of thing that makes a good short story and the thing that Kelly Reichert is doing so well. Um, and the fact that we get three different stories, um, I mean, there's, they're, they're connected in that there's stories about women who are sort of dissatisfied and feel alienated and are sort of not taken as, not taken seriously for different reasons. One woman is maybe not taken seriously because she's fat and she's un and she's native and another woman is not taken seriously because she's like a suburban housewife and her husband always wants to be the good guy with the kids and the other woman's not taken seriously because she is a lawyer and as a woman who's a lawyer she's like the idea that uh, uh, Laura Dern gets called into that hostage negotiation thing is so like they don't ask her they just force her into it it is so um, it's like such an amazing moment where you realize that's happening and I just feel like, like if Wendy and Lucy was on this list, like I, I would not fight that hard against getting three Kelly Record movies on our top ten, <laughs> honestly. Um, but like I just feel that certain women is such a profoundly uh, perfect uh, uh, sort of situation for Kelly Record to do the thing that she does best and that no one else can do. Uh, it's a movie I didn't see in theaters. It's a movie I didn't catch when it first came out on DVD. I, I saw it uh, several years later, and I was just like, man, I I can't believe that this wasn't met with the same response as like a Meeks cutoff or Wendy Lucy. I was just so blown away by it. Um, I really would like this to be in the top ten. This is my stump speech for certain women being in the top ten. Meeks cutoff, I could talk as long um, and, you know... I could talk endlessly about Meek's Cuff as well. I think it's an astonishing movie. Um, I think it also is something that only Kelly Reichard could pull off. Um, I think I think the way that Kelly Reichard minimizes sort of uh, genre convention in that story is astounding. I think the way that she cuts off how, like, the way she utilizes close-ups and when she chooses to go into them stuff is just, like, incredible. Um, I, it's like... It's one of, it's the very first image of the movie lingers in your mind and you just feel it more and more and more as it goes on. Like, Meek's cutoff is incredible. So if you're asking me on this list of whatever, you know, 22 movies that we have left or whatever, which one should go, I have to say neither Certain Women nor Meek's cutoff should go at this point. I will completely side with you on that. Again, like I, you mentioned it, I wasn't as strongly invested in the uh, Michelle Williams story the first time I saw it, and I, I've, I've definitely grown to appreciate all of it more. Uh, 
I just like, maybe I should have watched it again. But at the same time, I think because of the feelings conjured up for that third story, I don't know if it's like, oh, well, that's a high bar for the other two. I more or less, that's what I remember the most about it. Is <laughs> but the first story? I, the, the, the third story. Oh, the third, yes. Yeah. Where it made the other two not necessarily, you know, lesser than, but... I just uh, you just you just you were you just saw the third story and you're like, what would this movie be like if the first two stories affected me like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it, and if I, they affected you equally, that's great. I'm not going to argue that at all. I think I think my feelings about certain women are in some ways uh, influenced by the fact that I put it on while I was at work back when I was working at the video store, um, and I was because I I it was it came out on Criterion and I was like, oh. I'm like, that's right. Kelly Reichard movie. I like Kelly Reichard. I should probably see this. And I put it on and I was just like, wow, this movie looks incredible. This movie has this amazing feeling. So I I had it on at work, so I can't actually watch it, watch it. But I was sort of half watching it. Um, and I was just like, really, like, God, I can't wait to take this home and watch it. And then I did. And I was like, this movie's incredible. And then I watched it again, I want to say only a couple weeks after that. Um, and... Having a very because they're short stories, all the important information is like told in little glancing details and stuff like that. And yeah, like for going sure. into it knowing where everything goes with the Laura Dern stuff and the Michelle Williams stuff, that I saw the subtleties more um, in a way that I couldn't on the first time. And I don't know. I like you know you could watch them. You could watch it twice in one night, and you might not feel the same personally. But for me. Um, I want to see a couple more movies go off this list before certain women does. Would coherence be one of them? Yes, it would. Um, it's difficult, but I think some of the acting isn't the greatest in the film. Mm-hmm. It's all improvised, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but again, like I love it. I tell people all the time, you know, as somebody who's interested in physics and the whole multiverse thing and you know, just like, oh, you love Black Mirror or, you know, a lot of these newer sci-fi shows and films that are of this ilk, I think. You know, again, like, it, it, but it, when I first saw it, it blindsided me in that it was just, oh, you could you can make a movie, you can make a dinner party movie with a science fiction twist and do it well to where you're actually invested and involved and you can keep track of everything and... You know, there's there's a lot of fun to be had as, you know, like anxiety inducing it is at times because you're like, wait a minute, what is it? Is this person from that house? Or is this person from this other house? Or, you know, it's like it, you, you sort of get caught up in in the drama going on and, you know, the mystery of it all. But it's also fun, you know. So I think I, th- I do think it's a special film. It's just it doesn't need to be on the list because mainly just because. There's some acting in there. I don't think it's quite as strong yeah. as. There's a couple. Others. There's a. The thing is, it's all improvised, and so they kind of know where they need to get to in a scene. And when you are improvising, you, the risk you run is that you jump to conclusions too quickly. And there are a few moments where I'm like, I don't know if I buy that little leap of logic there. That one that yeah. seems like a bit of a stretch. And then I think I really like the ending of Coherence, but I think the actual very final moment of Coherence kind of cheapens it a little bit um sure uh in a way that's just like 
not a big deal at all. But if we have to look at this list and take stuff off of it, I'm that's would have me take it off. Um, yeah, I think that Patterson can go. Oh. I like Patterson so much, um, and it it is a it's a special movie to me, and I it and is. It, every time I've seen it, I I like it a little more, but I think Patterson is can go. I know that one might have been a little hard for you, but I. Wonder if I can take out something that would be difficult for me with. Uh, Interstellar. Okay. Yeah. Because again, I it's one of those things again where I I've said this a couple of times <laughs> already where. If you don't feel emotionally enveloped by the film the way I do, I understand it. Uh, but I don't know. I, again, one of those one of those movies, especially, you know, did we watch it this year or was it last year? We did. That was or, like yeah. the last movie we saw in theaters because oh we saw a seventy millimeter festival. Right. God. You know what's funny? The very last movie I saw in theaters was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which if you have to end somewhere, that's a pretty spectacular way to do it. But Sure, sure, sure. Um, we saw Interstellar together, and Interstellar is a movie I really like. I am, I'm not, I'm neither on the Christopher Nolan is the greatest living filmmaker train, nor am I on the Christopher Nolan is a hack and he only makes embarrassing uh, cringe <laughs> uh, train. Um, Interstellar is a movie I think is really cool. I like watching it. I like its aesthetic and its vision. Uh, I do not. I don't like the ending, and I've I've never yet been able to figure out what is being said in the final monologue. Yeah, well, I've seen I've seen this movie like three times, and I every single time I'm like, wait, what did she say? Oh, it's done. Okay, it's um, about love and family. It's about love and stuff. You know, awesome. Yeah. What What are we gonna do? What are we What are we gonna do, Jim? Jim. Uh-oh, here we go. What's happening? I would like to hear your argument for why Drive belongs on our top 10 films of this era. Because Nicholas Winding Refn was a torrid affair. It was passionate. The sex was great. But I feel oh, yeah. like that is so in the rear view for me. And I I think Drive is a cool-ass movie. Um, but I just don't have that uh, lust for, for, for old Nick the way we I used to. I know it sucks, doesn't it? It's like, I'm, man, I was on such a high after this movie. Yeah. I was like, Same. this is my guy. I'm going to see we everything. Found him. We and... found the guy. Yeah. Uh, fucking wh- Only God was... Forgives comes out. What was the movie he made before this that was also really cool? Oh, Bronson. We liked Bronson. I like Bronson a lot. Yeah. Drive is not a film I can actively defend as high art. That, you know, if this were our greatest movies mm-hmm. list, I wouldn't put it on there. But it came out at a time when it seemed to have everything I could want. Yeah. You know, like, this is my cast, the score, this look, this feel, this everything about it. 
What's funny about Drive is it feels like a very quintessential Obama era film in that it feel it was like 2009, 2010. Mm, I think it was 2011. 2011. Maybe? Whatever year it came I out, think. it feels like the very pinnacle of cool of that year, but in a way that is like I look at it back and I I don't want to punish a movie just for developing a uh annoying fan base or whatever, but like Drive is less special because it sort of be, it was the movie that everyone got on board with and everyone had every douchebag got a scorpion jacket and wore it around everywhere because they were like I'm a cool guy. You got a scorpion, you made a little scorpion jacket because you were you as a Halloween costume. That's a different thing. But like there are legitimately tons of people who would walk around in that jacket and like was like, "Yeah, Ryan Gosling's the coolest dude ever." And it's like that dude is like borderline inhuman in that movie. I don't know about cool. Um but no, definitely not cool. Uh, I mean, but it was. It was cool. It was like the coolest it's thing. It's a cool movie. But like, we've just, we've grown out of it. And it, we can return to it. And we can be like, yeah, this rocked. What if what if Nicholas Winding Refn had kept this level of taste and restraint? What would have happened? I don't know. I don't know. He made Only God Forgives and Neon Demon instead. And I'm like, I never want to see another Nicholas Winding Refn feature. <laughs> that is a director that went up his own ass yeah. so much. Yeah. And to the point where I'm like... I guess I could watch his Amazon show, but I'm not going to, uh-huh. and that's fine. My understanding is that he's also been very quintessential in getting some, like, exploitation movies sort of remastered and rediscovered and, like, mm-hmm. re-released and stuff, and he's done stuff behind the scenes that is like, okay, cool, Nicholas Winding Refn, outside of it being discovered that he is some kind of sex creep or something, like, Nicholas Winding Refn is forever A-OK in my book. I just don't want to see his movies anymore, and Drive was a cool-ass movie. I just don't see it being on this top ten. As much as I love it, and I love it because of you. I lo- Well, I mean, I love it because I eventually watched it a second, third, and fourth time and went, wait a second. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now that's a movie. Yeah. Now that is a movie that really snuck up and finally became a favorite of mine, too. Yeah, I watched that yesterday. Yeah. Great movie. In every way. There's a big butt coming. Go ahead, Jim. Drop your big butt. <laughs> I don't know how many times people have told me that. Um, I... I... Mm, I, I actually love this director, too. I, his, it, I, you should make an exception. His new movie... I think you're gonna love it. I, it's it's not necessarily like a moral rule of mine. I just I, know, I just get I sad. So like at a certain point, sure. I will be able to look back on 2020 and watch these movies and not have this feeling like, uh, oh God, I haven't been in a movie theater in forever. My love, I can feel my love of film being sucked out of my body. Like, uh, which is like that was what this past year has been. Is just like without a movie theater to re-energize me, I just don't know if I like movies anymore. Which is. Not true, but I often feel that way. Um, yeah. So it's, but I, I'm, I'm so psyched to see the nest eventually. Martha Marcy May Marlene would be a movie I would fight a lot harder for if the first half was as good as the second half. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I think the details of the cult uh... are not as intriguing as they should be. Um, I think the first half that's just sort of giving the exposition of where she's been and what it was like there 
it feels like if you've ever consumed any media about cults, it's a very by the numbers cult. Um, whereas considering True. where this movie goes stylistically, there was total room there for it to be a little crazier and a little more upsetting and off-putting. Um, and instead, it almost at times feels rote. Whereas, like in the first, you know, it's it's nine, it's a, it's like a hundred minutes long. Like the first forty-five minutes or so, I was watching this and I'm being like, "Was I high? Why did I think this movie was so great?" And then once she's really starting to lose it, Sean Durkin's mastery of light and shadow and editing mm. and like, it's unbelievable. There's the scene where she's having the flashback to having drugged someone else, which is a big part of it that I had forgotten. I was sort of like, why is she so traumatized by what happened? I know that she witnesses a murder, but like, I don't understand why she... And then I realized, like, oh no, there's guilt involved too because she actively drugged someone else. Like, yeah. she there's there's more there's more to her psychology that is interesting. And Well, I think being brainwashed is traumatic. No, 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 it's, it's true. But the, that specific thing makes it more interesting and adds a nuance to her character that I needed that I had just forgotten about. Um, but then, like, her, her sister tells her, like, why don't you go to bed? And it's, like, this moment where you're, like, bed is where all the worst shit happens. Telling someone to go to bed mm. is the worst thing, like, for her. And then there's this shot of this doorway, and it's total darkness. And it's just slowly the camera gets pulled into the darkness. And then you see her in bed, and you hear her. And the pine cones or the acorns or whatever are landing on the roof. Like, there are moments of Martha Marcy May Marlene where I'm, like, let's fucking go. This is the greatest. Top ten for sure. Number two, number three. No lower than that. But, like, the first half isn't that. Um, and I think I am okay, considering some of these other movies, I am okay with seeing it go. I'm okay with it, too. But, like I, like I said, it's it's one that has definitely, definitely grown up, grown for me in estimation and value and worth. And just in terms of how I feel watching that movie, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah. And uh, and also, it's it's worth noting that so good. It's worth noting that when that movie came out, there were not 100 million art house horror movies about trauma, <laughs> or or documentaries about cults. Like last year, there was like five. Of oh, them really? Or something. But I feel May yeah, Marlene it crazy. is. It almost feels less special now because there are so many movies that are this exact thing, where it's like a traumatized woman mm-hmm. unable to deal with the world around her and you know like yeah i just i just think like that has become a fucking cottage industry at this point um and sad but true but like it's worth noting martha marcy may marlene got there not first obviously it's not like you know fucking uh repulsion came out a little bit before martha marcy may marlene but uh it got there before the big wave um so jim we need jim we need to have a conversation that i've been dreading (laughs) Um, I will say this in in another life not not another life just another couple years ago if we had done this episode and done this list there would be one movie on this list that would be a shoe in for number one and I would go into it being like well that's the one movie that me and Jim feel equally strongly about and hit us in the exact same way at the exact same time and if I thought of a movie that defined me and Jim on Directors Club, during the Obama year, like, it has to be Upstream Color. Has to be number one. Has to be on the top ten list. Jim, I do not believe I will ever watch Upstream Color again. And to a certain extent, we are talking about the greatness of the films. We are not talking about the greatness of the people who made them. Um, But 
Upstream Color is a movie that its meaning is so tied into who Shane Carruth actually was that we did not know at the time. And, like, it is literally him and his wife that he abused on screen together in the story of abuse. And this is a movie that meant so much to me. This is a movie that said so much to me in terms of what I thought movies could be, in terms of how I understood trauma, in terms of how I understood building relationships in in that world, in terms of uh, what healing actually looks like and what it can be and how we can move forward. And this was like the most important movie to me to come out in this century. Um, but all of that is impossible to watch now without thinking about Shane Carruth. Um, and I will, I mean, even Manhattan. At some point, Woody Allen will die. And I feel like I will be able to watch Manhattan. And I will be able to say, this is a movie that is not necessarily on taking the position that Isaac is a good, decent character. Isaac's this, like, kind of immature piece of shit. And the fact that he is dating this high school girl in Manhattan <laughs> is a sign of that. And I will be able to watch that movie and not feel like it is a director trying to justify his actions. And I feel I will never watch Upstream Color and feel that. Um, this is a movie I've, I had not rewatched in many, many years just because it was so overwhelming and so powerful. And so it's a movie I haven't seen in five or six years or so. Um, not that long, because it came out in 2013. So this is a movie I've not seen in like two or three years, I'd say. Um, and I thought uh, there was a point where before I made Tracks of the Damned, where I was convinced I was going to do an Upstream Color podcast, where every episode I would look at a different angle of it, I would read Walden, all that shit. Like, I was, this movie was so important to me, and I don't think that will ever happen, that can come back. And it could be wrong, like, decades from now, I might be able to have some distance, and I might be able to get some of that meaning, but I just don't believe that's the case. Um, so I need to ask you, do, do we remove upstream color from this list and acknowledge what upstream color is now, or do we put upstream color near the top of this list and... And use that to acknowledge what it was. That's what, I just dumped. I just. I just dumped a lot on you, but we have not talked about this movie yet. And I bet most of the people listening figured that it was a shoe in for our top ten. And I would have thought the same thing. But like every time I think about watching that movie, I'm just like, no way, it's not happening. When I first heard of what had happened and I actually, you know, went to Shane Carruth's Twitter feed and started reading. I actually got so depressed. I just stayed in bed for a day. Like it was, and it's ridiculous because like part of me is aware that these things happen and they're horrible. And I, you know, it it definitely angered me, but this is, I I talked to um, my friend Melinda, who also thought, you know, between primer and upstream color, this is the, you know, he, he, he's one of the greatest filmmakers ever just by making those two movies. And we had, we had a really in-depth conversation after finding out everything. And, you know, it was, it was really heavy, really difficult to acknowledge everything and certainly just realize 
uh, yeah, you know, I, I even put this guy on a pedestal just because he was emailing with me at one point. So, what happened was, my laptop's kind of, I guess in technical terms you would call it a piece of shit, and uh, it stopped recording around this point in the episode, and I didn't realize it until about an hour later. So, unfortunately, the next 50 minutes to an hour of the episode just didn't get recorded on my side. Um, uh, We discovered the error, and we were able to... Uh, hit record again for the finish of the episode, but now we have this big chunk in the middle where you don't get to hear what happened. Luckily, what I did was I uh, I used some, you know, high-tech uh, forensic software, a.k.a. I hit uh, undo on the Google Doc where we had the list, and I was able to sort of reverse engineer how the list changed from when the recording cut out to when the recording cut back in. So... Here we go. Um, first of all, you heard me talk about uh, Upstream Color being taken off. Jim ultimately agreed, and we removed it from the list. At that point, we had a short enough list that we thought we could start moving stuff up to a top ten list and figuring out exactly how many slots we were actually fighting for. So, the first uh, movie that got moved to the top ten was The Duke of Burgundy. After that, we decided it would be absolutely ridiculous if a Paul Thomas Anderson movie didn't make it onto our top 10 list and it turns out Jim's favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie is also the one that I most like from this era Inherent Vice so Inherent Vice went up into our top 10 list after that I said you know what I watched Margaret recently and I think that is an absolutely phenomenal film and I think that is absolutely one of the best films of this era and Jim agreed. He, uh, under my urging, he went back and watched the extended cut for the first time. And I think we're both kind of on the same page as thinking that Margaret is an absolutely astounding work. And that got added to the top ten. Then we had to sort of look at what was left and realize, okay, there's now seven spots left on the top ten. What are we, can we now take off? And at that point we decided, you know... We both love Quentin Tarantino, but I don't think Inglorious Bastards is a particularly personal movie for either of us. Um, so Inglorious Bastards did get removed. After that, I had to admit that Under the Skin was a movie that I just hadn't seen recently, and the last time I saw it, it was not necessarily a movie that I adored. It was a, a challenging and sort of complicated movie, and it was uh, I, I did have to sort of uh, relent and say that, you know, maybe if I were to rewatch it, I would sort of see, oh, we're making a big mistake. This should definitely be on the top ten list. But unfortunately, I hadn't rewatched it recently, so Under the Skin got removed. At that point, we sort of looked at what was left and we went, you know what? It would be kind of ridiculous if Francis Ha didn't make our top ten. We both love that movie so much. We both um, agree that that is Noah Baumbach's best film. 
and uh, we go, went ahead and added that to the top ten. Then I saw that It Follows was still on the list, and I asked Jim if It Follows was on the list because we thought it was one of the ten best films of this era, or if it was on the list because we felt we needed to have a horror movie. And uh, ultimately, uh, Jim went ahead and sort of agreed with me that we both love it, and it looks amazing, and it sounds amazing, and David Robert Mitchell's an awesome director, but It Follows just it just wasn't going to make the top ten list, so we removed that. Um, afterwards, I asked Jim if he thought Never Let Me Go really belonged on the top 10. And he sort of admitted that at this point, maybe he would be okay with seeing it go, despite the fact that it was an amazing movie that meant a lot to him. Same with stories we tell, um, because he sort of looked at the two documentaries that were left, which was stories we tell and camera person, and he decided that he cared more about camera person. So... Then uh, we sort of looked at what was left and we realized that computer chess, we both were lo in love with, uh, me especially, and that had to be in the top 10. Shutter Island, we actually ended up talking for like 20 minutes about Shutter Island. This is the part that really drives me crazy that you don't get to hear it. But if you listen to the top 50 uh, films uh, podcast that Jim did with Bill, you will get to hear him talking about Shutter Island. And I think we, we sort of mentioned it uh, later, but I think we're going to talk about, uh, we're doing a... Uh, tracks of the damned episode where we both do a commentary track for shutter island so hopefully a lot of those thoughts will come back there um but i sort of asked jim about certain things i think for me shutter island is a very funny movie once you sort of realize what's going on and you see that all of the people who work at the hospital are putting on these performances and you sort of see how ridiculous leonardo dicaprio is um especially early on before things get really heavy and that humor didn't quite mesh with me uh, with sort of the really heavy, sad aspects. And Jim sort of talked about how Leonardo DiCaprio's fantasy is very specifically like a film movie fantasy. Where... And I think it's about having this ability to deny what's real. And you create this alternate reality in order to deal with trauma and the bullshit of what's happened in the past and what's possibly to come. And I like watching it the last time, I honestly thought, like, maybe this is why, yeah, I love movies, <laughs> because otherwise I just, okay, I'd be thinking of, you know, losing my dad or my mom being alone or climate change or money or any number of things. But isn't it better to just pretend I'm Philip Marlowe for a couple hours trying to trying to solve a mystery, you know? And that's why this movie started to become more personal to me, because I'm like, yeah, th th like if you look at it as a surface and people just go, Oh yeah, turns out that, you know, he's the killer the whole time or whatever. Like it's an M night Shyamalan type of twist ending. I'm like, no, that's not what this movie is about at all. You know? So I have, I have a really strong response to how this thing ends, especially when you realize he'd rather get a little bottomy than deal with the shit he's been through. That's, that's his ultimate choice at the end. So I can, I can see that being really jarring if you're finding most of it funny, and then that is one of the saddest endings, you know, to, when you think about it. He's, you know, imagining he's this, like, detective in this, you know, scenario that you can understand. Like, it's, it's not just that he's delusional, it's that he has these sort of escapist fiction kind of delusions. And, um, he, uh, he sort of convinced me. I was like, you know what? Shutter Island, there is a lot going on. It's not just sort of like Scorsese phoning it in. It's not sort of just like Cape Fear in a different decade. He, there's something else going on there. Um, and it's just a really cool movie. And even if it's not my top 10, I think it 
has a good spot in our top 10. So Shutter Island got added up. And then um, we sort of looked at the two Kelly Reichard movies that were left, and we realized that we really only had three spots, uh, or I guess at this point we had four spots left, and I just realized that both Meeks Cutoff and Certain Women were not getting added, and I asked Jim, how convincing did you find my uh, speech I said earlier for Certain Women? And he goes, no, I think that's a fair speech. I found it pretty convincing. I want to rewatch it. I think it belongs on this list. So we added Certain Women, and we removed Meeks Cutoff, and that brings you up to date. And uh, now for the conclusion of the top 10 films of the Obama era. Sorry again for the uh, um, technical difficulties. Though, on the other hand, you know, if you're someone who uh, would not have wanted to do a five and a half hour podcast, then you're welcome for <laughs> be moving things along a little quicker. Um, but uh, anyway, that's all I have to say now. So let's get back to the show. Uh, right now, we have seven movies that are locked for our top ten list. We have The Duke of Burgundy, Inherent Vice, Margaret, Francis Ha, Computer Chess, Shutter Island, and Certain Women. Hopefully, you know why all those movies are up there, but at this point, I don't exactly know what you've heard and what you haven't. So those are the movies that are going to be on our top ten list. We need to pick three more movies, and from those three movies are... We need to pick the, we need to pick those three movies from A Separation, Another Year, Camera Person, Clouds of Sills Maria, Inside Lewin Davis, Moonrise Kingdom, and Tangerine. Um I, I don't I don't know what else to say, except that uh let's let's uh go ahead and finish this up and then uh Yeah. <laughs> uh you know what? This is long enough, so I don't think people are gonna feel shortchanged or anything, but uh um no, it's okay. I, I I think that okay, we're happy with where we're at at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if there's a little gap in logic there, we at least have a start and a finish. Moonrise Correct. Kingdom. Does that have to be on our top ten list? It's definitely upper tier, uh, Wes Anderson for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if. It needs to be on the list, as then much as I do love it. Uh, now that I'm seeing what we have left here, okay, Jim and camera not... person, we sort of agreed to take out as well. Yes, that's yes. before the break. That was, uh, I think that didn't get recorded, but camera person is gone. Um, okay, so we have. I think another year has to be on our top ten list. I would like it to be for sure. Okay, another year is in our top ten list. What if we held hands and we put both Inside Lewin Davis and Clouds of Sils Maria on our top ten list? Wow. We hold hands and walk into the sunset with both of those for sure? We walk we walk both I I you really feel strongly about Inside Lewin Davis. I really feel strongly about Clouds of Sils Maria. I think when I see those two on this top ten list, people will see that and go, yes, that is Director's Club list. I don't know if that's true about Tangerine and a Separation. I'm with you there. So that would be it. I'm very happy. 
It's, it, might, it might seem like we fast forwarded a bit depending on how much you heard of us talking about these movies that we're now putting on there because we already had conversations and I just don't know what exists yet. So I do apologize, ladies, gentlemen, and those who believe in gender binary, but we have made it. Um, we'll see. Well, yeah, I'm, we'll see what happens. And certainly I can, you know, include some of my thoughts on Shutter Island. Yeah. And Patrick eventually agreed and felt yeah. as passionately about it. And I think... Uh, for the, general, for the, like there, I, there, were, I, there were three uh, here at least I wanted for sure. Um, I think probably me and you should just do a, a, a Tracks of the Damned episode on Shutter Island. Ooh. Ooh. And we could get all of those thoughts uh, recorded again. Yeah, I'm definitely going to write about it. It's one I've been meaning to write about for sure. Just okay. to elaborate on my feelings and thoughts on it. It's probably going to happen sooner than later. All right, um, folks, again, I apologize, but here is our top 10 list unranked. I think we can return um, another day and rank these someday. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we'll see. Um, but right it'd be now... It's hard to rank these for me, yeah. No, uh, I know. I, th- I think maybe that would be not so productive. Uh, I, I like the idea of forcing us to do it anyway, but I just don't think we're going to get... Like, for me, I love this format because it forces people to really dig into why they love the movies they love. Um, I don't love it because it's, like, comparing art is is necessarily, like, this is better than this because of this. But, like, I love that it really forces people to elaborate what is cool about the movies and why they're important. Um, this is what I've always loved about the Giant Bomb Game of the Year podcasts. And I, this is a format I've wanted to do for our year-end episodes. But, obviously, I think having some some time away from these movies has made this possible. Whereas if we just went to the end of 2019 and then tried to do this with all 2019 movies, it would never have worked. So, um, but here we are. Our top 10 list is the Duke of Burgundy, inherent vice, Margaret, Francis Ha, computer chess, shutter Island, certain women, another year, clouds of Sils Maria and inside Lewin Davis, the top 10 director's, Directors Club Top 10 Films of the Obama Era. That could very well be ranked that way. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. You probably put Clouds of Sils Maria higher. That's, I understand. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm, I'm definitely happy. happy. I, I, yeah. I, we did it. There's somebody, like Duke of Burgundy, we barely talked about because we just knew. Like, we just love Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, we spent a whole best of episode talking yeah. about why we love that one but like so that one i knew was going on i knew inherent vice had to go on because it would be ridiculous for paul thomas anderson not to be represented margaret we didn't talk about too much um but that i think is the number one movie on this list uh that to me is i i i it's on i i can't get into it right now this has already gone so long and i've lost my voice but one day we will return and we'll talk about margaret and how absolutely incredible it is um yeah Maybe we should just do a Kenneth Lonergan episode down the road. That was uh, that all, be the worst all, idea. I, I love all those three movies. So. Agreed. Um, let's see. Francis Ha, we talked about. Yeah. So hopefully most of these movies, you got to hear us talking about them. Uh, Jim, I apologize ahead of time for all the editing you'll have to do. <laughs> eh, we'll see once we get to that hour. I mean, you know. But like... This is our list, and I'm proud of it. And thank you, Jim, for joining me on this. And we got through it without... We got through it collaboratively uh, with the spirit of friendship. Indeed. I'm glad we didn't have to yell and scream anymore. I lost my Uh, voice anyway, but... 
yeah, we, we talked a lot. Yeah. Now it's time to uh, eat and drink and be merry and, uh, you know, celebrate what hopefully will be a better year, question mark? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible we'll it's a better year. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but uh, you'll definitely be back, um, you know, maybe for a special bonus episode and uh, then in October, possibly for a Mike Flanagan Directors Club. We'll see if that happens. And, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. I look forward to more episodes of your show. Where can people find it? Uh, at nowplayingnetwork.net or .com? It's definitely .net. Definitely. Okay. It's a network. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, yeah. Tracks of the Damned is, is my show, and I I don't I think I'm going to in January upload a Friday Thirteenth uh, commentary track, but oh cool, I'm still working on that, so no promises. Good, we look forward to that, and uh, thanks again for starting this crazy show that I can't believe is still going. Yeah, thank you for uh, starting it with me. I've it's been a uh, life changing experience. <laughs> Any day now, I will hear you say goodbye, my love, and you'll be on your way. Then, my wild, beautiful bird, you will have flown. Oh, any day. Some